The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Does that sound like Washington State Sauvignon Blanc? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Taking notes on Sauvignon Blanc anywhere I can. Right oh, that's now. right. You brought in Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Or is it is it in? Or are you bringing it in? No, it's in, and it's almost dry. Where'd it come from? Beltane Ranch. Oh, yes. Beltane Ranch. Yeah. And it's really interesting. It's it's almost like evoking my memories of the Sauvignon Blanc from that property when Kenwood used to get the grapes. Like it's coming back to me. Like you're having mem- flashbacks to the yeah. '80s. Yeah. Yeah. That's some powerful late '80s. Late 80s. Late 80s. <laughs> Uh, well, hello everybody. Welcome to the Winemakers Podcast. John Myers is on assignment, so the um, inmates have taken over the asylum. Um, we th- we almost know what we're doing. Two hundred and fifty-one episodes today. Um, so you'd think we'd be better at this, <laughs> but we're on. But we're on brand. Uh, we're here today. At, the 16600 Tasting House yep. with uh, a legend of the wine game in general, but particularly uh, Washington, um, including the Washington Sauvignon Blanc that I just poured in my glass. Uh, Charles Smith, yeah. welcome great. to the show. Yay. Great. Aloha. Oh. Good to be here. <laughs> the, the, we, we pre, the, the wine pour is live. The applause track was canned. That was, that was a terrible applause track. Yeah. You guys. Let's try it again. <laughs> we got to do better. Let's try it Charles again. Smith. All right. <laughs> There you go. It's almost like uh, you've been. It's, in... it's almost like people care. <laughs> well, the four of us here, we really care. It's uh, almost like people are listening. Right. <laughs> what we're really doing is embarrassing your daughter, who's hiding in the other room, going, "That's just my dad that you're talking about." Exactly. <laughs> She's uh, my sidekick today. We're playing hooky. Don't tell that to Seattle School District, but they probably already know. Well, uh, ho- hopefully they listen. Hopefully they don't listen. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm going to say hopefully they don't listen. Brian, how are the levels doing? Doing good, Sam. All right. Brian's on the board. He's got headphones on. He's looking serious. He's running around in circles. All right. So, so let's talk about how we came to having how we Charles. got how we got tra- well. This guy on Instagram kept harassing me about wanting to develop pictures in our wine, and it turns out that that guy on Instagram is the director of marketing for House of Smith Wines, which is your wine brand now. Yeah, it's the umbrella. I the mean, umbrella. Obviously, it's a bright, sunny day. We don't need an umbrella here, but uh, it's the umbrella for my wine company. Well, so, you're in so, Washington. It rains more. Exactly. <laughs> so Only oh, well, west of the Cascades. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody thinks, it's, oh, how can you do wine up there? It's so wet. Well, once you cross across Cascades, it's so dry. It, it is. I mean, it's stark in it like you go across basically high desert. Exactly. It's high desert. And, you know, it's at the 47 latitude and you have incredible towers. It's a great spot to be. Uh, so let's maybe let's just start like we're we're famous for starting in the middle of conversations. So let's lean into it. Um, 
you are the umbrella of a family of brands. And unlike, you know, most of the time, winemakers, podcast guests, where there's like 50 cases of uh, sherry that somebody's making in a winery uh, that they work at, this is one of the few times that pretty much something that comes from your family of brands, anybody listening anywhere in the country can find a bottle of something that that it, you've made somewhere, right? Yeah, eventually they can run into a bottle somewhere for sure. Right. I mean, I have, you know, a, a number of projects, you know, starting with my first saying the wrong centric uh, winery K Ventners, which I started in 99, you know, okay. 330 cases of the first vintage, right. single vineyard wall, wall valley Syrah. Now I make a little bit more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you can probably bump into something somewhere uh, where you live. Right on. So let's, let's talk about, let's, can we, um, director of marketing maybe what what are the list of like things that are currently in production including the case the case is still um at the top of the list right oh yeah very much so i mean the vineyard sits in my you know the the phil lane vineyard sits in my front yard you know hand planted with two other guys you know in back in the spring 2002 you know and that was the beginning of my first you know, first vineyard that I actually planted myself, and that's in that's in the rocks. That's that's in Walla Walla. It's actually not in the rocks, but the thing is, it's uh, up Mill Creek Road, okay. with about twelve hundred feet versus about eight hundred feet where the rocks are. But it's also another fan dried riverbed with cobblestones. Right. But I prefer, even though we have vineyards that we work down in the rocks, I prefer you know a few hundred feet higher up. I mean, we get the best of both worlds. So I, I spent a little time in Walla. My first time in Walla Walla this summer. Um, Mill Creek Road is sort of uh, east of Freewater. Is no, that... it's just east of downtown Wall Wall. It's east of downtown. The Wall rocks Wall. are just around Milton Freewater, which is on the right. Oregon side. Of okay, Wall so this Wall is Washington Valley. side. This is Washington. Okay. Yeah, this is Washington. That's actually at Cape Ventnor is where I I started. Okay. Which this has wine has actually nothing to do with vendors that we have in our glass right now. I guess we should but talk this about is that. Another good way of starting right in the middle of a conversation. Starting in the middle of the conversation. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> Again, staying on brand. On brand. Uh, so, so why don't we? Since we're starting this wine, that's a good place to start. Like, let's talk about. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about substance and um, this Sauvignon Blanc and where it belongs in the lineup of everything you're doing. Sure. Well, the idea of the wines of substance came about, and it actually was conceived by somebody else, and I thought it was a brilliant idea, but um, they weren't really utilizing it. So I kind of acquired the uh, intellectual property, if you will, and then uh, broke it down to basically one wine and started making Cabernet Sauvignon, only from vineyards that have a black fruit profile, you know, uh, farming sustainable, to biodynamic, doing 100% native fermentations, and basically just putting it on the gross lease in barrels for 13 months, drawing it off and bottling it. And I figured out this is a really, you know, this is wines of substance. But the idea is, you know, I've added a couple of things to it, but this is uh, the vineyard collection, the Sauvignon Blanc that we have in front of us now, even though I have a, a you know, another Sauvignon Blanc, uh, but this is something really a passion project. Um, you know, you can smell the wine. I mean, this is not your typical domestic Sauvignon Blanc. It smells a lot like Loire. And now, of course, I'm making wine in Washington. I'm not making wine in France. But just for a reference point, because what's the reference point for most people for Washington? There's none, right? Well, well, right. And there's one thing for sure. It doesn't smell like it's from this area. Right. No, that's right? for sure. I mean, yeah. if, if you were tasting this blindly and someone said, is, you know, where is this from? 
I, I wouldn't think at all that it was from, you know, this part of California. And I would probably go old world and, um, and there you go, you know? Yeah. Um, so if you, you know, love old world, you know, Loire Sauvignon Blanc, which we do. How much Sauvignon do, Blanc is there? There's a fair amount, but it's not like vastly, vastly planted. Yeah. Not that it can't do really, really well. Yeah. I mean, this is from the Sunset Vineyard, which is in the Ancient Lakes area. And right uh, where breezy, the breezy mountains are. And that's pretty like the bleeding edge of where you're going to really grow really, you know, excellent vinifera grapes. And so this is, you know, as we know, like for France in the north, I mean, the bleeding edge is up in the Loire, right? right. And you're talking white varietals and Cap Blanc, and so you're talking Sauvignon Blanc, yep. you know, Chenin uh, Blanc. Yep. And, uh, and you know, the fact that all the soils here are all limestone. Uh, that's what you're smelling, you know. I mean, it's you know we are what we eat, and what this grapes eats is uh, uh, water from the limestone, minerals from the limestone soil, you know. So for those of us, um, myself included, who aren't super up on uh, Washington geography, uh, ancient lakes of Columbia Valley, where is that sort of in relation to, say, like how far east of Seattle are you going? There you go. Yeah. Good question. So. Uh, as you travel east from uh, Seattle, you, you take I-90, which basically can take you across the United States all the way to Chicago, right. and then, you know, onward. And this is about uh, two hours and 15 minutes, more or less, you know, east. And uh, just on the east side of the Columbia River, which, you know, originates up in the, uh, in the Rockies, you know, Rocky Mountains up in, um, in uh, Canada, and it's just sitting there, and that's the Ancient Lakes area, and, you know, just on the east side of the Cascade Mountains, where everything becomes dry. Yeah, so so weather-wise, it, it's, obviously, it's fairly dry. Climb, I mean, it's... It's dry. It's cold. Six, ounce, six, six inches of rain a year. Six inches and cold, most of the year. Co continental climate, cold, cold winters, yeah. you know, mild springs, you know, mild falls, and warm summers. I mean, right. it's continental climate yeah. which is a really cool thing to be able to make wine in the continental climate i'm a i'm a native uh california i'm from sacramento so i'm not, not a continental climate in sacramento <laughs> no but what i'm saying is i'm a lover of california wine and american wine in general but really what we get to do in washington state with having that continental aspect we basically have two mountain ranges between us and the ocean right. so you know we're not going to get fogged in we're not going to get which can be a positive, but we're definitely not going to get rained out, which is a big negative. And so we get a long growing season in the fall, so we get a really beautiful physiologically ripening, and you're able to do these wines that are more, you know, on the bleeding edge, and they, you know, are racy, and it has plenty of volume in the mouth, and you can tell this wine, this cake wine could age 15, 20 years. Yeah. Well, can we, can, can we just roll back a little bit for people that don't know Charles? And so you mentioned that you're originally from California. Yeah. But you didn't go to UC Davis, didn't get classical training in wine. Mm -hmm. And then, so how did you get started in wine? And then how did you get up to Washington instead of making wine here? Well, I want to make the comment about UC Davis very clear. I wanted to go to UC Davis, but UC Davis didn't want me going to UC Davis. Check. Maybe it was a problem. Maybe it was a problem that I didn't graduate from high school. I guess that was just was kind of just a little bit of a stutter step there. But I got I got to wine by the way a lot of people do is by way of hospitality industry, working in restaurants, and um, you know, you know, I, when I first job I walked in the kitchen, 
It was at the Agua Caliente room at the Spa Hotel in Palm Springs, California. And I walked in, it was hot, you know, moving, bustling like a big kitchen would be of a hotel. Um, and it was hot, a little bit dirty. And I'm like, and there's a, there's somebody yelling at you all the time. I'm like, I don't want this job. And it pays the least. So I walk out the dining room and they're playing like elevator music and it's really beautiful banquets. And the waiters are all wearing tuxedos and really you know, nice waiter jackets. And people are drinking wine and having a good time. I was like, I want to be out here. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not going to be in there with the guys yelling all the time. And uh, so I got out there and uh, lo and behold, it's a place that had busboys, Back waiter, front waiter, a captain, and a and a major D, like really old school continental French. Well, after working in you know as a back waiter, bring out food from the kitchen for a while, I noticed there was this one guy, and apparently he was really important. He had won some award. He was walking around with a medal around his chest, and I'm like, who is this this guy who won this award? And he goes, that's the wine guy. I said, what does he do? He goes, he comes in late, leaves early, and drinks all night. He's like, I want his job. <laughs> Yes. And so that's really, that's your yeah. so I'm like, that sounds genius. So really, that's where it really started. And the thing is, I wanted to be close to wine in some regard from that point my whole life, whether I always had the opportunity to do so, you know, is another story. But eventually, you know, at 39 years old, I found my way back to it at a very uh, circular route and ended up making wine and having my own winery in Walla Walla, starting with $5,000 borrowed in a van back in 1999. So, so what were those early wines that, yeah, what were they pouring at the, at the Agua Caliente room? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or, or, or what were the yeah. wines? No, that, great, what, yeah. What sticks it's out? It's a great question because it is a wine, wine people go, yeah, I cut my teeth on whatever, <laughs> you know, well, Okay, so the thing is, by at that time they were fairly trustworthy. There was a service bar, and that's where all the you know the captains would get all the cocktails and they bring out a tray. But they also all the wine by the glass uh, was kept there as well in the honor system. Of course, you know there's no honor amongst captains, right. and, you know, no, in the restaurant no, business, no honor among front of house. Exactly. Right. So they were running around, you know, like crazy, working really hard, you know, doing table side service and all that in their tuxedos with ruffles and bow ties and. Um, they always kept these white wines in buckets. Well, the, the wine of choice was Parducci Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, and these guys would suck it down in droves. Mendo County, baby. Exactly. And the thing is, so I caught on very fast that, hey, this is free, this, this is free booty for whoever wants it. So I would basically just fill up water glasses of Parducci Sauvignon Blanc, and I can still tell in my mind's eye, in my muscle memory of that wine. I still know exactly what it tasted like today, back then. And that is what really wet my whistle, no pun intended, and brought me forward to wine because it became part of my DNA and something that I knew that is something that I needed to do. Not because I just had a desire, but I was compelled to do it. And, and you notice he said in a water glass. He didn't say in a right. coffee cup, like, yeah. you know, like some people would. <laughs> It was at least it wasn't. It wasn't. We didn't hidden. have to. We didn't have to hide because everybody was drinking. But the, but the water glasses were all like tinted green. This is the alcohol room we're talking about, right? <laughs> exactly. So there was there wasn't like, but there wasn't wine in your house growing up. There or was there? No, there no. wasn't. No, there was no wine growing up in my house household. No, I really came to it by basically working as a waiter. Right. Cool. Yeah. From Parducci Sauvignon Blanc to. The substance of it. Yeah, yeah. is a long way. Yeah, it's a long, oh, it's a yeah, long way. You've come a long ways, baby. Yeah. yeah. 
but uh, yeah, that's that was really where where I started started, and that's what um, yeah, kind of somehow brought me here to you guys here today. But they're very uh, a lot of a lot of days in between then and day, now. The days between, but Parducci owned Valley of the Moon. No, that was different. Is that a different Did, Parducci family? Yeah, that was like cousins, right? Okay, Parducci and somewhere is like cousins. Smith. Yeah, don't yes. take that wrong. Um, uh, no, that was two different. You I were think, worried about offending the guy I, named I, Smith, I, not I, the guy with the I at the end of his name. I didn't know I was supposed <laughs> to be offended until you told me I was supposed to be offended. I guess I'm offended. Um, different Parducci's, um, and then Parducci Winery was essentially sold to the California Teachers uh, Union. Oh, right, one of the like, and, and may still actually own it, but okay. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, totally different. Did we miss a step though? How did you get from California up to Washington? To, to Washington? Right. Well, that that is a whole other step. Wasn't there like some? Isn't there? There's music in there, there somewhere. There, there was there was there was massive Viking style of drinking. There was a rock <laughs> and roll. Um, I met a girl in Sacramento, and uh, see, there's I was the Twenty nine years old. It's always a girl. It's all well, especially in Denmark. Uh, if you find any man that's from, from another country living in Denmark. There was a girl that brought him there. Uh, it's kind of like the sire and softly singing, you know. There's definitely a beckoning to come to Scandinavia. So I met a girl, uh, fell in love, moved to Denmark with her, and uh, you know I had to find myself a job because I, you know, needed to work and I didn't speak uh, Danish. You know, it's a very difficult language. You don't learn it in two weeks. And the funny thing is, I had a very strong background in wine. You know, previously before I moved to. Denmark, but I wrote every importer and distributor in the country, you know, saying, you know, saying I was looking for a job and gave them all my qualifications. And, um, and they all politely wrote me back a letter. And one of them wrote me back, you know, in Denmark, we speak Danish. And I think, well, that's great, but it's really hard to learn it in two weeks. And the funny thing is now I still have all those letters that I bound with a little piece of string in my keepsake uh, trunk or whatever you call it at home. And I wrote them all a letter and to thank them so much for never hiring me because otherwise they would have probably impeded my eventually my migration back to America. So I um, got a, I started uh, bartending and started uh, booking bands and I started managing small independent rock and roll bands to make a living. Not and all small. Not all small. Jesus Jones, the Ravenettes, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I know, but you know, <laughs> I, 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 I kept myself busy and uh, didn't make any money at it. I had a lot of fun, traveled just like the, the wine world. business. Yes. Yes. Checks out. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, and the thing is, on a road trip um, with Suna Wagner from the Ravenettes, who actually happens to be in my house in Seattle right now, working on something. Um, uh, I, I went through Wall Wall, and uh, actually, as soon as I stopped at a little wine shop and said, "Hey, thinking at a wine shop, they tell us where there's a good place to eat. Do you have a good, where's a good place to eat in town?" The guy goes, "There are no good restaurants." And I, I said, "Oh, that's really a bummer." I said, "We have some really great wines in our car, and you know, hoping to go someplace to eat." And he said, "Yeah, but we're having a barbecue, and you can come if you want to." And I think that's cool. His name was Robert Ames, and the, um, and he invited me to this barbecue. We showed up. And of course, if you live in the wine country, your friends are growers and winemakers and whatnot working in the industry. And I met a French winemaker there who uh, we ended up making, you know, fast friends and getting completely annihilated drinking wine. And uh, he said to me that, and I goes, Charles, you should move back to America and make wine. And I said, that sounds great. 
I said, I have no money. He goes, I have grapes. And I said, I said, good for you. <laughs> he goes, but I will give them to you and you can pay me for them when you sell your wine. And I said, great. He goes, yeah, come here and we can kick and kick and kick all the old guys and make, and make wine together. And not together, but sell together. And then that was Christophe Barone from Cayuse. And, uh, and that's where what? I started. What? <laughs> We, I guess we buried the lead. I mean, we would have had to know that the lead. That is my story. I mean, I can't change it to protect the guilty. There are very little innocence in this. Clearly, you guys did not read the press that I sent over. Well, no, I started. No, no, the, no, no, I started. No, no, no. It was chronological to like the most recent first, and I don't. Yeah, after <laughs> like, like Pinot Noir. After, okay. Okay. Like, I don't after 2020, it's like why go any deeper? <laughs> <laughs> so but that's that. But that's that's what brought me to that moment, ahead, and that allowed me to do something. Well, no, it just blew my mind because, like, the the one person that you're that you're running into that makes that offer is this guy who's now like. But when? But yeah, but when was that? And that obviously, was 1999. And he, he, was he, he was he was like anybody else. He was just beginning, even though he has his family has history making champagne in the Mar Valley. Uh, the thing is, I lived in Denmark for ten years. I came with a very European perspective. He was a French guy living in Wall Wall which does not have a very European perspective. It's Southeastern Washington, which is very nice, but it's culturally very different from where he comes from. And all of a sudden a guy like me shows up who's interested in what he's interested in, has a depth of knowledge of wine and a passion for wine and food. And, you know, I understand the culturally, you know, Europe, because this is what, who I was. And he's like, okay, this is my friend, <laughs> you know, because, right. you know, I found somebody that, you know, Make, living here makes it, you know, I, I've added one person to my friend group that is like me in a regard, you know, and uh, that was it. And the reason why I started with Syrah, because my first vintage was 1999 Walla Valley Syrah, was simply, you know, there was at the time about 290, 300 wineries in Washington State, 297 were making Bordeaux varietals, and there's like three producers of Syrah. I was like, I can be one of the top three. Yeah. <laughs> so number three with a bullet. So that's that's why I elected for Syrah because those were the grapes offered to me. And, and everyone thought Christoph was a madman anyway. He probably didn't. I mean, they thought, who is this guy that's uh, coming Did they to even town know how mad of a man he was? In 99, I mean, there was no Cayuse yet, was there? Yeah. There was. I don't think he had released the wine yet. I think the '97 was his first vintage, but I'm not a historian, right. Christoph. It was just, it was just, yeah, just also trying to, just trying to remember, you know. So the the wine that you had in the trunk that day that you were driving around and brought to this barbecue also must have been good enough for him to take it, to pay attention. What, well, what were you? What well, was there was it? enough of it too. That was really important. <laughs> you know, as a volume said, mass press. quantities. Yes. Uh, volume, no, but I do remember the wines I actually had. I had some. Uh, I had some uh, some Pesquera from back then, uh, you know, from uh, 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 from de Duero. I also had some Mauro wine, and I also had some um, I had some Priorot wines. So Spanish. Wine. I had Spanish wine with me, and I had picked up a few bottles from a couple of small producers in Amador County, where I was about a week or two previously. Then, and I. I think it was, you know, when Scott Harvey still had Santino before it came Redwood. So I had some mm -hmm. Santino wine, which was pretty delicious. And a little tiny winery called TKC uh, that made wine from the Bowman Vineyard at that time, which was about 60 years old. I mean, uh, I think I had wines like that and I had copious amounts. So, you know, it's like 
sounds good. Let's drink up. There's a barbecue and we have big glasses and then we're going to empty them over and over again. <laughs> and the thing is also that at that, uh, at that barbecue, I end up meeting, you know, other people that end up being, you know, fast friends of mine right. from the Wall Wall Valley and gave and helped support me in regards, you know, as I got started. Yeah, I mean, it, it must have been a great small community at that point. Just like I mean, Napa, it still just is, like Napa right? was, right. just yeah. like Napa was in the beginning, like up in Calistoga, right? You know, I mean, you know, back in the day, as they always say. You know, you had to begin somewhere, and that be, it begins with a small group of people. So Walla Walla was an agricultural area. It, absolutely. But it wasn't grapes. It was not grapes. It was, what it's was grain. It? grain. It was Wheat. all grain. Wheat. Yeah. Wheat and like... Alfalfa. And, and, and peas. Chickpea. And is it still... Stuff. Is there still a presence of that there? Well, or wheat is, is huge. It's, uh, it's the most... Uh, it's a, the most... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, productive dryland wheat farming in the world yeah so it goes all the way from uh, oregon uh all the way up uh, through the Palouse, all the way up into um, canada it's that whole belt of grain so it's amazing i mean so yeah there's always a lot of farming there uh but the focus always was of course on wheat i mean it's you know flying in to walla walla and i thought it'd be like you know you're flying in it's like flying into santa rosa all you see is it is vineyards and wineries everywhere. No. It's still, you. It's still the folk. I mean, it's still wheat everywhere. It's a mixed ag agricultural thing, just like Napa Valley was in the old days right. as well. Right. Because it's a place for farming. I mean, we have apples, we have cherries, we have peaches, nectarines, we have strawberries, we have grapes, right. and then we have all the other type of big field type crops. I mean, it's a mixed agriculture. Yeah. So we're. You know, where I started in Walla Walla, I mean, we're agricultural. Eastern Cascades is an agricultural state. Yeah. And so, you know, wine seems to figure figure into it. But, and I mean, you, you said it it was back in the day for, for Walla Walla, because now you go into Walla Walla and, you know, downtown has a dozen good restaurants. Absolutely. And, There's delicious food and in Walla Walla. 25, 30, 50 tasting rooms everywhere. They're everywhere right. downtown. You know, I mean... When I started, I was uh, the Wall Wall Valley Wine Alliance. It, it performed then. I was one of the founding members, and I was winery number seventeen. Winery number seventeen. So that's you know, and now there's more than 140 wineries, 100 wineries in the Wall Wall Valley. So I'm like one of the old guys. Well, when well, you I said actually looked in the mirror today, and actually I am one of the old guys. So what the hell? Turns out we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. And when you said everyone was growing cab. Has that transition? Because when I think of Walla Walla, I think of Syrah, personally. You know about all of Washington, right? Well, I think in Washington yeah. in general, in people Washington. are focusing, you know, on, you know, if you're making red wine, you were making Cabernet Sauvignon, you know. Right. And what's, what's amazing, though, what's absolutely brilliant is Merlot from Washington is like, it's, yeah. it's the jam for sure. And jam, that's a bad word for wine. But it's, yeah. it's the shit. I mean, that's, that's really... Amazing. The, That's the, a good the, word for the podcast. The multi-layered dimensions of, of Merlot is fantastic. But really, what's really great about Washington is there's so many uh, different uh, terroir aspects in different places. I think about it as a mini France as far as the, the diversity of, of, of sites and what is possible. As long as you match the right site to the right varietal, you can grow anything in Washington State and, and do it really, really well. I mean, the example is... Sauvignon Blanc, I think, if you do it as you enjoy it, um, you know, you think they do this in the very far reaches 
of the, the Columbia Valley up into the Angel Lakes, where I also make wine in the far reaches of Washington State, all the way even on the bleeding edge and into Oregon in the Walla Walla Valley. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty damn cool. And it's it's a big state too. I mean, you're, it's a long flight that flight from. It's on a small plane from Walla Walla to Seattle. Yeah, they offer you free beverages on uh, on Horizon Airlines. Yeah, either, either a glass of local beer. Or a glass of wine, and you know what? Next time, let me know, and I'll hold your hand. Fair enough. I know it's a little bumpy. It wouldn't have. It was the. uh, We'll get there. It was the after three days of celebrating Syrah with the Walla Walla Wine Alliance that uh, my inner my inner balance (laughs) and my inner ear equilibrium was a little off on the flight out. I think we 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 aim to please. No, I had a great time. I um the the incubator program that they do with the um with like the community college and yeah. helping at the, airport, pe- yeah. out at the airport and getting, yeah. you know, small wineries set up and, you know, five years of free rent or whatever. And, and, you know, get your brand off the ground after going through the programming, the whole thing up to, you know, the, you know, the way the sort of town is embracing the tasting rooms and, um, the restaurants that we ate at the champagne that, uh, Elaine and, uh, who was it? The guy from the guy from, uh, Coat from Roti Cellars. Um, I had a good time. <laughs> I had a good time. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I missed it. I should have sported you all. Well, yeah, where? I was in Maui. Oh. No, I have, I have no idea where I was at the time. I probably, you know, just before uh, COVID, Jeff Bunchu, when he was trying to take Wachika on yeah. the road, they brought Wachika to um, Wall Wall. Do you know what Wachika is? The music festival? No. So the Bunchus put on a music festival every year, kind of indie rock. And um, he was attempting, they did it in uh, upstate New York, and then they did it in Walla Walla. And he came back saying, we all have to go to Walla Walla every year. And um, he just came back just going yeah, crazy. Over that it. was with Trey Bush. Yeah. And, what's, and Trey's brand is... Um, Sleight of hand. Sleight of hand sellers, yeah. Yeah, I've known Trey yeah. for was, a long time. He, he was probably there among the beginning... Maybe not quite the very beginning. Close. But, yeah. uh, you know, Eric Dunham, you know, uh, who had Dunham Sellers. Uh, he was one of the, he, I think Trey worked with him back in the day uh-huh. and, and Eric was a dear friend of mine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it still f- feels hmm. like the, I mean, it's an established industry, but it still sort of feels like the beginning times of, of sort of the Walla Walla experience as far as it is the brands and and the hospitality experience and sure it still feels it feels like a younger wine region than it is being around here for sure oh absolutely well the thing is you know you're 287 miles away from Seattle or one hour flight so and about 270 miles away from Portland and uh you know but it's a beautiful drive I mean up over the Cascades or along the Columbia River and you find yourself in this beautiful little town from the you know the 1880s my actually my house out there was built in the 1868 where the winery is and uh you know there's a lot of history there and uh and you know that is washington's wine town i mean of course there are other towns that have wine but really as a full community that has you know the restaurants and the hotels and you can get there and once you're there you're there and within 10 miles, 15 miles of wherever you're staying yeah. is pretty much where every vineyard and every winery that exists in the Walla Walla you have access to. And everybody comes back to one central location in the evening. So it's a pretty lively place to yeah. hang out and have good food and good drink and get a good night's sleep and 
do it again the next do day. Do it again next day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you definitely like feel the diverse agricultural element of it. Yeah. You know, down even in the rocks, which is, you know, this sort of much vaunted uh, AVA these days. You're, you know, you're at, yeah, you're at like this famous vineyard. The, you know, you're like stealing a rock from Christoph Brown and hoping that his drone doesn't get you. And then next door is like you know apples and cherry tree orchards that go for acres. It's, it's, of the honey crisp apple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh yeah, during the fall, we're James out. Joyner's first contribution: <laughs> the honey crisp apple. Thank you, James. Yeah, honey crisp apples. Yeah, the man loves to eat. The Washington Apple Growers Association are, are really. Going to send you a box of apples. This episode of the podcast. Yes. Brought to you by the DM for address. Honey, honey crisp apples. Yeah, you're going out, you know, you're going out there and uh, you know checking vineyards and you know checking fruit and and it's boring on an apple vineyard and you're just you know you grab yourself an apple off the tree because you're out there checking vineyards throughout the day and eat on an apple and take a sample from the vineyards and move on move on. You yeah. know, it's pretty cool. So, anyways, yeah. So, I mean. You know, I, I started in Wall Wall and I kind of, you know, branched out. I mean, I, I make wine throughout the state. You know, I make wine and I don't even really kind of count, but I I make wine in, you know, s- several ABAs. And, uh, you know, I have well, we six have, projects. So We have the K Viognier in our glasses right now from Art Den Hode, Art mm-hmm. Den Hode Vineyard in the Yakima Valley. Want to tell us about that? Where we're and, and and then another question maybe on that also that first year, uh, were there custom crush facilities up there? Did yeah, you yeah, have to make that one? Did you have to go become a friend with somebody? How did yeah, that become happen? a friend? Um, there was no custom crush facilities. Um, Gory Veneri and Miles Anderson had um, Wall Wall Vintners. See, while I started my wine my my winery, I actually had a little wine shop about the size of this room, and. It's a big room that we're sitting in, a small room we're sitting in. Uh, I had a little wine shop on Bainbridge Island and um, because I needed to make a living. I mean, I, I came back to the United States with no money. And what I would do is I would buy a lot of Washington wine, stock with Washington wine. And then there was a lot of wines that were popular, but it was hard to get quantities of them. And so what I would do is I'd run the shop. And on the days that I had the shop closed, I drove out to Washington, Walla Walla, with a van my 87 Chevy Astro van, and I'd pick up a bunch of cases of wine from Leonetti, from Woodward Canyon, from Walla Wall Vintners, larger formats, drive it all back to Seattle, put it on the shelf. So I was a customer before I was a fellow Vintner. Hmm. And so what happened was like, oh, we know Charles. And they said, yeah, you can, you can crush this at our place. And that's what I did. That's awesome. Yeah, was, I mean, it was really, I mean, it's a miracle that I'm I'm here. That you know, I turn left when I need to turn left. I turn right when I need to turn right. I didn't have a map, but it tended turned out to be the right direction. You know, yeah. And that's the wine business every year, right? Right. The map. The you go a different way in the map, and you end up at the end. Right. Exactly. You end up with. I won't make an for it comment. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's wide open. So well, it's you wide just. Open. Uh, uh, I get more. Uh, I hadn't. I didn't even know you made Shannon Blanc, let alone Amphora Shannon Blanc. <laughs> I think it's been a few episodes since we. He said doesn't that. anymore. Right. <laughs> so this is a single vineyard Viognier, and um, this is grown in the Yakima Valley, and um, uh, it's on a fragmented basalt soils, and this is fermented in concrete and in, in barrel, and yeah. You know, 
pure, there, there's the microphone thing. Uh, just pure, beautiful, focused Viognier. Uh, and the reason why I started making Viognier, because when I started, I was just making Syrah, so a Rome-centric winery, and I only had reds. And like, man does not live by red wine alone. I had to have some white wine, so I started making white wine. And because I wanted to be true to what I was doing, I decided to do, I choose the Viognier for the white varietal of Rome. I mean, there wasn't a lot of Roussan or Marsan, and Roussan is notoriously difficult to grow. And like, I, I couldn't afford failure <laughs> at the time. Or, or an experiment, if you will. So Viognier, I mean, obviously with Condrieu is an incredibly charming grape. And uh, it seems to, I mean, proof is in the pudding. It seems to do really, really well in Washington State. And if you, you know, you're not, you make it like Mike Viognier, not make it like Chardonnay, you end up with this. And you did some, didn't you do some co-ferment with, um, with Syrah as well? I do. I have, a, I have a wine called The Beautiful, which is from my Powerline Vineyard in Walla Walla. And uh, uh, it, it receives 3% uh, Viognier. And um, all my Rhone wines, all my Rhone centric wines are 100% whole cluster. So I do no destimming. And uh, I don't, you know, a general thing over my whole wine, wine making, just add on to that. Um, everything I do, if it's a, whole, it's a Bordeaux varietal, it's whole berry. And if it's a Rhone varietal, it's 100% whole cluster, always. And I don't do any blending whatsoever. I pick it, and if it's more than one vineyard, I can, more than one uh, varietal, I line them up yield-wise in the vineyard, knowing that I can pick the same day, and then I co-ferment. Mm. And if, for example, if I make something that's Cabernet Sauvignon Syrah, the uh, if it's thirty percent of a Syrah, the, the Syrah whole cluster goes on the bottom of the fermenter, the whole berry goes on the top, and the party begins. Yeah. And so how many did you have used, did you say you had six projects going? James, can you count? Because I apparently can't make it past five. Oh man. So well, we have <laughs> K, right we have okay. B. Layton, which is um, our VP of winemaking sub-brand. That's, yeah, it's really Brennan's thing. It's Brennan's thing. So, yep. Um, but it's our thing. It's our thing. Yeah. We have Substance, but then there's the Substance Vintage Vineyard Collection, which are single vineyard expressions. And that started off as just Cab and then, then Chardonnay. And then, sort of, and then we so, did the Sauvignon Blanc that you had yeah, before you yeah. as a passion project. So we love the wine. We love Sauvignon Blanc yeah. like this, Loire style. Yeah. So we let's see. We have K Vintners. Uh, we have Sixto. We have Vino Casa Smith, which is Italian varietals. We have Substance. Uh, we have B. Layton, which is Brendan's. And we have Golden West. So we have six. Golden West. And then, then there's Sub genres of them like the vineyard collection which is what you had with the Sauvignon Blanc uh, which goes underneath substance and then are you still doing pop-up I'm not I okay. decided to put it on hold for a year or two what's really interesting I launched two wines uh, in um, March 2020 <laughs> Hello. 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 And so the thing is, when you have something what we felt was really delicious and we couldn't go out and talk to people about it, we figured, you know, when we can go out and talk to people about it, we'll do it again. So okay. that 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 machinery, if you will, has started again. 
but we will enter it again where we actually can go out and talk about the wines that we're doing because I think the others in a way are self-explanatory, but not something venturing, making sparkling wine in Washington State uh, was uh, in in this uh, way was not uh, something that needed to be able shared and put in somebody's glass and deserve some uh, some background, if you will. You right. Know? So you you knew about this? You were like up on the the. Sparkling. Oh, the Clapa was a sparkling Chardonnay that was um, um, th- that it looked like a lot of fun. It was something I wanted to try. No, it's uh, delicious. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, single vineyard, sustainably farmed, native fermented. Yeah. You know, resting on the grocery, draw it off. You know, I know someone with a stash. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it was, but I have some bottles for you. Sweet and crown cap. So it's like just. And, and the whole, I, I love the whole idea of the pop of it was like, this is what's happening now. This is yeah. this is what you want to drink now. So it reminded me I, when I originally saw it, I thought it was a pet net. And then, it definitely uh, sounds like a Brian. Oh, for sure. Like a Brian it's, wine. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. And that's actually how I started working with Charles. Uh, we've been friends for a decade, uh, but mostly he showed, he showed me pictures. But uh, my background <laughs> is photography and journalism. And I shot a whole campaign for it that because of COVID never got to really go anywhere. For the pop-up. For pop-up, yeah. Yeah. Pop-up for... I'll show you the pictures sometime. But um, they're great. But yes, I love that wine. And I do, in fact, have a a stash. um, And I'll I'll make sure you get some this weekend. Sweet. And then... Six projects. Six projects. Yeah. Okay, so six toe. This is... Yeah, six toe. This is also going to be a Brian wine. I I tasted it before we got on. This is so Brian's jam. And I want to know... I have questions about... The winemaking on it, um, so I'm happy to get it. You didn't ask one here. question about the Viognier. I, I was, I love the, I love the Viognier. It um, treads the line of the. I mean, the acidity is fantastic, um, and I guess it's just being from Washington Viognier that is, you know, in in California. If you don't let it get ripe, it becomes just like perfume, and this isn't perfumey at all. But it's it's also like not. A super ripe expression of Viognier. Um, it's 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 fascinating. Well, uh, the idea is, I think you know, sometimes in a more warmer climate, the best day, the best day the Viognier sees is the day it was released from the winery. You know, and then it starts falling apart. Right. What I want, you know, I mean, I'm I'm drinking the 2008 of this now at my wow. winery. So the thing is, you know, I like wines that are perfectly balanced upon release, but they have all the depth and the the, the backbone. And the stuffing that you don't that doesn't uh, reveal itself in the beginning to be able to develop and reveal itself, you know, later on. Right. Yeah. And so for six toe, number one, what is the um, what's the deal with the name? And then I, I think this is um, if there I remember a, last time I, I was into six toe, it was like older vine stuff. Yeah, there was a couple of thoughts behind it. Um, so uh, the idea was back in the day in Washington State. You know, we have a big winery called Chateau Saint Michel, um, and they, it. yeah, you know, some, you know, they make a couple. Bo- I think couple they own wines, Pat's yeah. and Hall. Yeah, you know, um, no glass ting for that one. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, they, they, you know, there wasn't for Chateau Saint Michel, there wouldn't be the Washington wine business. It really, everything, you know, started started there, if you will, on a different scale, and then of course everything grew out and beyond in its own its own respect. Um, but what happened was, you know, back in the day, they planted vineyards willy-nilly here, there. Sometimes, you know, they, they planted in the wrong spot. And, you know, 
you know, snake eyes, you know, the crapped out. And sometimes they plant it in the most brilliant spot. But when the vines start getting old and they're not producing five tons the acre, a big winery doesn't really have any use for it, you know. And so what we did was we knew where all the old vines were, and we came and uh, contracted these three different vineyards that were up to the 60-year-old vines that uh, we knew were on genius terroirs and very distinctly different from each other and elected to make, uh, you know, it's about, re it about rebirth and resurrection. So the, the uh, spiral on the cork is the oldest symbol for rebirth and resurrection there. And so, and then sixto, you know, uh, you know, uh, sexus is the sixth in, in Latin, and it was my sixth project. Yeah. And about rebirth and resurrection, just before my daughter Charlotte, who's in the other room, was born, her mother and I, uh, we were at this uh, movie theater, art house cinema in uh, Denver, Colorado. And, you know, you know, just, you know, a week before Charlotte was born, so, you know, very pregnant. And we had to walk up a, a flight of stairs to get into the theater. And uh, we sat down and it was a movie Searching for Sugar Man, which is about Sixto uh, Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so about a guy that had always been brilliant, but disappeared. And then he was found again. And it was about rebirth and resurrection. And, and he was always great, but he was just waiting to be found again. And these vineyards were always great, but needed to be found again. So Sixto, Sixto the Sixth, and Sixto Rodriguez was about rebirth and resurrection. This is also a passion project. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a legitimate business, but the idea, it came out of a true passion. There's none of my wines that I'm doing. I do it because, oh, let's make some more money and sell some more wines. Like, it, should it exist? And therefore it will. If it shouldn't, it won't. And, you know, everybody can say it, but, you know, I look at you guys in the eye because you one day you can like, Jennifer Charles, you're full of shit. That's the truth. And James knows it's the truth because you can choose this or choose it not to be this. And I choose this. And, um, you know, I like to say about with winemaking, you know, I go, how do you do all these different wines? We make 52 single vineyard wines. Wow. I mean, it's because, you know, get up earlier than everybody else, <laughs> go to bed later than everybody else, <laughs> go to, you know, certainly go to bed later than everybody else. And while I'm sleeping, I dream about what I'm going to do the next day. And that's how we are able to do it. I just want to say that one more time. 52 single vineyard wines. Correct. Wow. That, I mean. Through all the projects. Is yeah. there is there anybody. And in some ways I, I think of that as sort of like. You know between these vineyards that were planted for San Michelle 60 plus years ago. To the Walla Walla history. Is there anybody else who's sort of like chronicling the history of the Washington winery wine industry like that. I mean, has sort of, you know, touching all these different places. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody. I can't really speak to authority, about what other yeah. people are doing, because I've always run my own race, but I, and this is, maybe this is a bold statement, but I'll go ahead and say it. Cause you know, we'd, we'd like to hear. That's feedback. what we do on podcasts. We make bold statements that we can't back up. But, but you know, <laughs> on, and then we can hear about it later. Right. <laughs> I don't, I, Okay. In Washington State, absolutely for sure, nobody's doing any, anything such as this. And it's just because it's what we choose to do. And secondly, I don't think for the quantity of wine that I make, you know, for example, the substance Cabernet Sauvignon is only from black fruit profile Cabernet Sauvignon, 100% native, fermented, you know, sustainably farmed, no, you know, no synthetic chemicals used in the vineyard. Everything's organic spray, so forth. Um, 
nobody's doing that at 300,000 cases in native fermented that I know of. So it, I think it's, it's, we're completely unique in all of American wine. And I'm not saying that other people, what they choose is wrong, but for me, this is, is right. There's nothing in our wine besides the grapes and the vessel they're resting in and a little bit of sulfur to make sure that the, the wine gets to market and, uh, and, and, and a good, good uh, condition. I mean, uh, after the bottle, and if you were testing our bottles, we're at 18 parts per million, which is very low of SO2. And then you know, our totals are like 60. And, you know, and then, but what we do is we go to dirty on barrel and lees is a very important part of what we do. We're in reductive, reductive style winemaking. So we, and we, uh, we rest on the growth squeeze and we don't do any racking. We just stop. So the thing is, we don't have a reason to add more sulfur to protect, sulfites to protect yourself from oxidation because we just don't introduce the oxygen. And so, you know, is anybody really, you know, I guess if we're probably writing the history, at least our history, of Washington wine, uh, but I think in some ways, in this type of farming and this type of wine growing, uh, wine making, I think we're writing some of the wine history in the United States. I mean, it's a big statement, but I don't mean it in a egocentric way. It's just a matter of fact. Right. Well, yeah, and again, you said it, 300,000 cases. Like, that's just one wine. Of, of the Substance Cabernet. <laughs> right. Which is the one, I mean, when I say there's basically distributed in 50 states, right? Or Yeah, 50 so, states and 37 countries. So you could find a bottle of this anywhere you're listening right now. Uh, and it's um, and it's delicious. It's, well, we haven't. We gotta taste. <laughs> let's talk about the. We'll taste it. <laughs> Thank you, marketing director, doing your job. Uh, but let's talk about the the much harder to sell uh, uh, an oak chardonnay <laughs> because that's what we're at a podcast here for. That's what we paid Porter. Did Brian already? Did drank anybody his. bring one? I thought the the marketing director told me the chardonnay was was no new was no oak. Or Was it no new oak? As it doesn't I take, taste like it. Doesn't. As I take the microphone away from the marketing I know. guy, he's so uh, he is so fired I mean, for the rest the, of the, the day. The wine is fermented fifty percent in concrete and fifty percent in barrels, and it's but about, are they are they new? It's about twenty percent. Twenty percent new. Twenty percent new. Yep. I was gonna say it tasted and, like it had a little like yeah, there was a little bit of mouth. Really, really, really. Yeah, it's yeah but full, it's not super oaky. No, completely full ml, but all the way through. So you, you know, you resolve all those issues of something not completely through ML, right. but the idea is there's a lot of tension in the wine already. And the thing is the terroir here, this once again, this vineyard is all limestone. So this is this Moxie vine vineyard? Yeah, and this vineyard is 64 years old. And so again, for those of us who are not Washington State, where in Washington is the Moxie this vineyard? This is the very north of the Yakima Valley. And once you're going to exit it by about four miles, northeast is where you'll find the vineyard and there's another other vineyard there except for this vineyard wow. 19 acres planted of chardonnay planted ostensibly for uh, saint michelle or somebody. i think it was back in the day yeah right crazy yeah i, I don't really re know the complete history of it i just know there's a man that grew it and i don't remember what actually it was called but the the area is called moxie valley and so we thought Moxie was a pretty good name, so we named the vineyard Moxie. Yeah. Cool. Even though we don't own it, I mean, we work with the guy who owns it. Um, but you know, once again, you know, the idea is, you know, we're kind of like Johnny Appleseed. We've been planting vineyards ourselves in new sites, which we'll get to about the Pinot Noir. But on the other hand, uh, the idea is working with people who wanted to do this, uh, what I think would consider responsible viticulture. And bringing more of that to this to the state on a, a broader scale. 
Can you talk a little bit about what's going on right now as far as harvest and what your vintage year has been like and where you're at? Sure. Well, right now I'm in Sonoma because not a whole lot's going on in Washington State right now. Uh, this year we uh, in the Pacific Northwest in general, so that's Oregon, Washington, and you know probably out in Idaho as well. We had the coldest spring, early summer in 120 years. Wow. Now. We've also now had the most beautiful August and September that we've probably ever seen as well. It's really crazy, the weather right now. Uh, we were about three weeks behind. And of course, in the Northwest, you don't get three weeks at the end. You know, you don't get into almost December and so have grapes on the vine. So um, we're, that's where we're at right now. We've just begun harvesting, uh, which is unbelievable. Uh, it's very, very late for us. Usually we'd have all our rosé in by now, by a week or two ago. And actually, we just actually picked uh, Pinot Noir today for uh, our um, quote-unquote, you know, small batch of, uh, of uh, Pinot Noir that we're uh, producing at our vineyard that we're in partnership as far as the winemaking, but we have a family called the Brown family. They elected to plant this large planting of Pinot Noir for us in uh, the area just south of the Angel Lakes and uh, what would be on the Frenchman Hills. And so what's going on up there right now is, uh, you know, we're just, we're just getting started. Wow. Look at the color on this wine. Yeah. It's pretty beautiful. No, no. Oh, this is the Pinot Noir. We, we, we yeah. jumped to the Pinot Noir. I mean, you are the just about the first people to taste this particular wine. Outside of you're actually the first public in the public to actually taste yeah. this wine. I thought you were going to say press. It really terrifies no, me. No, 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 people public. call us press. Like outside okay. of outside <laughs> of like the immediate circle of the yeah, upper yeah. levels of this oh, company, you're the first proper, people to taste this wine. A proper glass. There we go. Um, so this is this so. We started the story with Golden West, which is the vineyard, and also an iteration of the wine. Charles, I'll let you take it. Sure. Well, you know, we're, you know, by the way, this wine's only been in bottle for a month. So, and it actually flew down with FedEx or UPS. Yeah, got here ago. yesterday after sitting so, in public. So, you know, it's again. not released <laughs> yet. So, I mean, that's the disclaimer, but I know that I think you're going to find the wine to be really good and silky. But, you know, not to put words in your mouth, but to put wine in your mouth. And uh, the idea was if you can produce really, you know what i consider really superb and fortunately you know the accolades kind of support it even though that's just one person's opinion you know our chardonnays have received really great accolades and i think we're really great chardonnay live so does great pinot noir live we're at the 47 pillow we're at continental climate we are within one degree within the uh, uh, growing season temperature of of uh, Gevray. And uh, we um, are like Vose, we are over 50% limestone. And so we have so many markers that would say, this is a good place for Pinot Noir. And we're also continental climate, just like Burgundy is. Now, are we making Burgundy? No, we're making Washington wine. But once again, what are we talking about? What's the reference, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the beginning. I mean, you know, somebody had to, you know, start you know, making wine in Oregon in the 1960s. And somebody goes, oh, well, I'm going to plant some Pinot Noir. It's like, yeah, you're crazy. And, you know, now it was a genius and you're the, the father of, you know, Oregon Pinot Noir. And, you know, well-celebrated wine, great growers, great winemakers, making delicious Oregonian-style Pinot Noir, which is a very interesting uh, place to be. And the thing is, just a little bit farther north with the right 
all the aspects I talked about made sense that it had to be done. And once again, this idea that, you know, back in the 70s, it was all Riesling and so forth, planted in Washington, everything is cold and wet. Well, it's dry there. And really the grape was always should have been red. And it's the same thing, you know, oh, you can't do a Pinot Noir here because this line that's made, fictitious line and, you know, says entering Oregon or any Washington or leaving California, it's the same thing. Like, you can't do Pinot Noir in Oregon. Right. Well, you know what? It's like, yeah, you can. You can't do Pinot Noir in Washington. This is not British Columbia or further up. I mean, we're 47 parallel. This is runs right through Burgundy. Mm. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. And so the idea here was to, you know, plant this vineyard and plant. We now have seven blocks. And uh, the idea is to make basically single estate on a large scale, single vineyard, if you will, Pinot Noir. That is something that no you know farm sustainably no forces of death native fermented 100 percent goes into barrels rest on the groceries drawn off assembled and put in a bottle like real wine <laughs> unlike those 76 or whatever additives that you can now put into wine which just blows my mind i can't even pronounce half this stuff and it shouldn't be just be the grapes and the vessel they're resting in at least i think if we can accomplish that that's should be the thing that we're trying to do, you know? Purity is next to godliness. I don't know what next to godliness is. <laughs> but We haven't had enough wine to get next to godliness yet. Exactly. We keep trying, but we haven't made it. Well, that was a weird conversation I had with a table last night that I was, they were looking for a Pinot. I, after a conversation, picked a Pinot out. And then as I'm opening the wine, they said, so we went to two tastings today. And the first one we went to, they told us that there is no added sugar in the wine. And then the next place we went to, we told them that, and they said, well, it's a, why yeah. would they add sugar, sugar to yeah. the wine? So they said, well, <laughs> we're California. kind of confused. And I said, I have no idea why anyone would add sugar. In Did you not, ask them who the first tasting was with? But, you're, you know, like they do when they have a, a non-ripe vintage as far as sugar goes, and, like, you know, the Chapelais, like in France, and it's a very history yeah. of it, and there could be delicious wines made when it's going to be so... I mean, tec sugar. technically, we're not allowed to add sugar in California. Of course, that list of 76 additives that you were talking about includes Mega Purple, which is basically adding and the, well, sugar. And, and, and that was the and conversation we can, yeah. that we had was yeah. about Mega Purple. But, yeah. but Mega we, Purple is a grape added. It's grapes, right? right? So it's not you can add it without right. saying we can add sugar. grape concentrate. Mega Purple is essentially grape concentrate. Right. You know, but also remember in Burgundy, they can chapelize right, and, and, and they used have to, to have to they don't right, yeah, they, right. Used to but have they to. do it at the fermentation process right. so it gets all eaten up and gets acclimated into the wine instead of afterward you know add a little sugar which you say that people don't do that at least right. they shouldn't i mean, I mean they don't at least they shouldn't they should at least they shouldn't right <laughs> but there's some there's some weird labels out there i have a, i have a wine um that I got from Joni, uh, who lives yes. here in the complex. Shout out, Joni Boots. It says, it says like gluten free, um, sugar free. There's all kinds of like. It's it's all this denigration marketing, right? Of well, course, the clean wine thing is getting massacred in the press right now. Thank God. Everyone's like, oh, hey, by the way, that's bullshit marketing. Well, as as members of the press that we are not, uh, we were massacring clean wine way before it was cool. <laughs> before Cameron Diaz came along. Oh, because Cameron Diaz came along, I think. Well, maybe it was, it was because of her. It was the days of Zoom podcasting. It's all sort of foggy. Um, I think you mean smoky. Yes, it is lost in a haze of some sort. Thank you, James Joyner. Um, so how much... 
how much Pinot Noir is in? Uh, basically, you have the only Pinot Noir vineyard in in no. Washington at this point, okay, or no? If, okay, if anything, or at least we have the biggest Pinot Noir vineyard in Washington for substantial sure. Substantial that you would be aware of, right? I mean, there are other people growing some very small bits of, of, of Pinot Noir, and I'm not sure what success or lack of success they're having. There's a couple good wineries that I, I mean, like, that I know, you know, James and Poppy at Stenkline down in on the Cumbria Gorge, and and uh, there's a Stephen at Onalema. They're also making really nice wines down there, and I think they have grapes some that are right there in the Columbia Gorge on the Washington side for the grapes. And then there's something in the Lake Chelan area, but it's, you know, it's pretty small, right. small bits. I mean, we planted uh, between all seven blocks, 500 acres of Pinot Noir. Right. And the thing about it is you're like, yeah, but I mean, you put this wine in your glass, I mean, it looks like Pinot Noir, tastes smells like, like Pinot Noir. Noir, tastes like Pinot Noir, it's silky and must be Pinot Noir. This wine's gonna retail for seventeen ninety nine, which is insane. There is nothing, in my opinion, like it in the United States, and it's real Pinot Noir, but nothing but the grapes, which is what the people who, if you go to work like most people do, except the great American, let's quit our job, and um, you know, and you got trust fund money or you know, whatever, which would be great. I mean, uh, still but, holding but, that. But, but the point, <laughs> but, the, but the point being is, um, you work hard for your money, and you spend a bottle of money on your bottle of wine. I want to be sure that there's everything that I can possibly do to to make that wine, have that wine to be the best, to be able to earn every dollar that we earn by somebody buying our wine. And so this is our dedication to work. And I figured that if you know we're we're you know we're uh, spacing seven by four, and we're farming five tons the acre, which is essentially three and a half if you think talk about conventional for wine that's for Pinot Noirs selling at eighteen bucks. I think everybody wants some of that stuff. Are are you? Is this mechanically picked or hand picked? It's mechanical. It's, it's, it's it'd be you, impossible. Yeah, to pick, yeah. You know? No, no. And you and and, and nowadays and it's amazing you, what right. there is available. I was going to say mean, you don't have to make the excuse like no. you used to, right? Um, uh, because it is amazing. But but that for our listeners that allows them to understand a little more on the pricing because you know hand picking is incredibly expensive, isn't it, Sam? I haven't I haven't seen the I haven't seen the bills yet this right. year, but, 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 um, but looking, I'm mean, not we, looking forward we, to it. Yeah, we know that. Um, yeah. uh, so th I mean, again, good good for you. You know, that's awesome. Well, what I just well, the idea is I just think pe more people need access to good wine, no matter how much money they have. And the thing is, if you don't have a lot, you know, why should you get a chemistry set wine? You should get real wine. Yeah. And that's a conversation that I have have had with you guys before. Is as a daily wine drinker. Um, I can't afford to spend fifty dollars on a bottle of wine that I drink every day. That's like an ex that's like an expensive right. drug habit. Um, but I but we've all had that habit before. Fifty dollars right. a day. It seems like was, those were the good days, <laughs> right? <laughs> but seven seventeen dollars. Um, I can, I might be able to justify that. With you can my maybe wife. open a second bottle if at seventeen, <laughs> maybe on on a good day. <laughs> all right, where are we moving on? Let's, to let's, the rest? let's talk about this vineyard a little bit more though, because I. I Okay. Um, when was it planted? Yeah, that's um, what I was curious. We got the spacing. Um, I, I know 2016. 2016 clones. Yeah, clones and and rootstock. Is it rootstock? Is it own rooted? I know that's like yes, the thing that's turn. happening it's in in Pobard, seven seven seven, one one five, and two uh, A. That's for the clones. 
and then rootstock. Is it is it on root or it's on it's on it's on it's on rootstock. It's on it's on, on root. Okay. Again, something. Right, something we don't can't do here. So right. basically, it makes it pretty cool, you know, yeah. especially for you know, uh, wine people that you know you know go that one you know besides this what's in the glass. I mean, that's where it's at. I mean, you can do all that. It's pretty amazing, and you know, this like I said, this is what you get. I never let somebody taste my wine a month after it's in bottle. We certainly don't release it then. I mean, this wine will. Uh, start getting shipped out from the winery in about another month or so and we'll start seeing it, it'll be in the market on the, you know the first of december but you know the, we've been fortunate the substance wine with the labels you know be built on the periodic table the cabernet has been so well received that we figured that people have an idea of the quality that we're we're doing and that we figured wow double down with pinot noir you know of this caliber with all the same ideology It'll be on a lot of by the glass list. It'll be a lot of by the glass list. You like it? Yeah. And and you know totally. if, if this is a a wine in um, you know just being bottled, um, if it's only going to get more complex, which it is, it's gonna, only going to yeah. get more aromatic. Um, it's Why only going to get rounder. Um, you know, you've got to. For the record, this is the first time I've ever had the same the same Pinot Noir poured into my glass twice on the Winemakers Podcast and not complained about. It. <laughs> Well, you know, let's get the, let's get the day going in the right direction. I mean, we As did Charles start is at one. For saying, know, we you can't drink late. all day if you don't start in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Cheers. 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 Guys. This is. I mean, I will. Uh, Brian wants more. Thank you, sir. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. Again, I, uh, I go back to what I said in the beginning. Rare on the podcast is there somebody who you can find these wines. You know, wines that you've made all over the country easily, you know, usually people have to like get on a list and try and, you know, wait for releases and things because it's all these, you know, tiny producers. Your uh, phone. Sorry. Your phone is yeah, turn... the vibrate makes the gets oh, into the vibrate. wires okay. Okay. or just when it when it like connects to the, what it was and it was uh, connects maybe, to maybe I'm maybe I'm vibrating. Right, we're all just we're just no, so excited about watching it. Uh, <laughs> but but for real, like right. if you're in a. Uh, a restaurant anywhere and you see substance pinot noir as the wine by the glass you're stoked because it's going to destroy anything else in the in the price range that is so cool i like yeah. I, I, I i super appreciate you saying that because you know you no know, i do make wines that i have yeah, i make 100 cases of it. i make the royal city sirog it's 9900 points nearly every year for those people who can afford a 140 dollar bottle of single vineyard sirog but that's not making wine for the people. The people don't have $140 burning a hole in their pocket. The people want to drink wine. They want good wine. They want, they deserve good wine. And this is why I want to, if you have the skill sets and the integrity to do what you do at a very small craft, if you will, thing and do it on a large scale and you can do it that, it's, it's better for everybody. And that's really where my thing is. I'm so fortunate. I started with $5,000 in a van. And you know what? And the money was borrowed. You don't still have the Astro Van, do you? They tried to find it for my my <laughs> my birthday five years ago, but I think it got crushed yeah, it's somewhere. Probably in the bottom. I'd of be driving it. It. Yeah. It, it. it died. So for the first six years, I was the only employee at the winery. So what I did was, and okay, my bookkeeping sucked, but IRS, we got it all straightened out years ago. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, so in Washington State, you you can self distribute. I was self distributed. 
I would drive from Walla Walla with a pallet and a half of wine and an 87-inch shattered bed, which basically means the front is shattered, not really on the ground. I would drive all the way to her and say, over the Cascades, harrowing experience. And then I would find the, go, and I'd go to the first store that I knew would buy the most. So I could take some more weight off, and which was West Seattle, a guy named Bear at West Seattle Cellars. And uh, he would usually take about 15 cases of wine off me, or maybe a little bit more, because you know, I you know, have new releases. It was just when I was doing the K Vintners. And uh, this is what I did. And then I, if, and then on the weekend, I'd be back at the winery and open up the tasting room. So I can tell you this came a long way. So the thing is, when you find out that people like what you're doing, which I'm very fortunate that they are, that people understood my labels, my packaging, because I'm trying to communicate the language of wine to everybody because most people don't speak wine. They, they have kids, they have families, they have relationships, they like soccer, football, travel. Wine is like number four. But even that, they deserve a killer bottle of wine for 15 bucks. I'm going to be that, that guy because I can, because Washington State is a great place to grow grapes. It gets cold enough in the winter. We don't have the, the press pest pressure. We have strong terroir imprints. And there's lots of land. And you know what we have up there? Don't tell anybody. We have water. Yeah. It's called. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Right. That, I mean, that was the thing brother. that blew me away about being in Walla Walla. Is people were talking about it's a drought. There's not a lot of water. Everywhere I fucking looked. There <laughs> was water. like, there was water. The it wasn't even cracked I was hanging, open. I was hanging out at Trey Bush's house in his backyard. He wanted to show me his. I'm going to say it anyway. He wanted to show me his like pot plants that he was growing back there. Because it's legal in Washington. Because it's legal in Washington. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was a public good, service good, good, dis good disclaimer. Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, there's a little stream in the backyard. It's like gushing 60 gallons a minute out in his backyard. And it's like, oh yeah, there's a little water. Like there's just surface water everywhere. Just flowing. Exactly. Yeah. That was wild. Blew yeah. my mind. The yeah. water blew my mind everywhere. The water everywhere. <laughs> okay. The, the Pinot Noir. Like, what drought? Is on its own well. In the middle of 9,000 acres of, of land that's been farmed only organically within that area. And the neighbors is all dry farming because they don't have water. So think about this, like with drift and things they can get when people put forces of death that spray in their vineyards or on wheat or apples or whatever, if they farm that way. There's, we're in the middle of 9,000 acres. There is nothing in our wine besides well water coming from there which actually is filled by the Columbia River, which is one mile away somewhere in the deep aquifers, and we have clean water. Yeah. And you get this? I mean, if I'm a grape, this is where I want to be grown. <laughs> because life is good in Washington State. Forces of... Forces of death. Forces, forces of, death. of death. I thought you managed forces of death in 97. Was that a different man? I no, I toured did. with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yes. We I, opened for forces. The forces of death opened for us. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Which sounds like a really cool band. It does sound it like does. a cool band. I feel like it's probably... They someone's going to check us on social corpse. media. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be like a new metal band. Morbid Angel. Right. <laughs> morbid Angel. Forces of death. We're, we're, we're opening for Christian right. death. They're at Oracle Arena now. <laughs> Oakland Coliseum. <laughs> All right, so now I'm super curious what else you got. Over right, so we got, there. So I can't we see have, you to the end of the table. I see. So cab yeah, where do we go? Do we go cab or do we go we've got King the Cole? Substance Cab, which is the the. I think we should know, go Substance Cab next, right? Right here, and then we've got King Cole, which is a flagship, and then we've got. Oh, I think it's cool. Yeah, we should do the Substance Cab because we just did this. Yeah, even though we're going, right. we, then we'll go to Primitivo. Isn't it amazing as you drink this wine, how it's just starting to really fill your mouth with great flavor and intensity. It, I'm, I'm telling you. 
Yeah, juicy, makes you salivate. A juicy, minerally, yeah. long on the palate, silky, and a really pleasant perfume in your mouth. And I'm not trying to say because you go, I, uh, I, I beg to differ with you, mon ami. <laughs> if you were French, because you're not, that'd be like appropriation, and we know that's not cool these days. So don't pretend to speak French if you're less you're French. We're gonna come after you. I think we're all appropriating French yeah. culture in the wine business. Exactly. I think if we were going to get in trouble wrong. for that. Yeah, yeah. Did, did I already say Rhone, Condrieu, and Burgundy? Yes, yes, I did. Perfect. Bordeaux, the and, Bordeaux and model. tell me when you're on vacation yeah. in Hawaii, you're not picking up a little pigeon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you still speak pigeon. You work there. Oh, you've got cool your jets because want to get them one speeding <laughs> ticket or what, huh? I appreciate that your goal in every episode appears to be to get as canceled as possible. <laughs> Just shows that nobody's yeah, listening. I'm, I'm trying really hard. You know, I was going to say, James, you realize that you've now been on three episodes in like a month and a half. Yeah. So, you know, I well think you're done. Well done. You're, you're basically this a, time. I'm actually leaning into the mic. You're a right host. Up. You're a host now. Right. You ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready for a little substance cabernet. Who's answering the phone around here? So the first thing I'll say is the the substance cab, like aromatically, it just says, yes, it, this is Cabernet. Um, and shouldn't it? And, and, and it, it, says it should, label. right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's the reason why the, you know, the, the, the wine drinkers have responded because, you know, once you put it in your mouth, you're like, yeah, this is what I was looking for. So when I started this project, you know, with, you know, using the periodic table, just the CS, you know, so Cabernet Sauvignon. But the idea was here was I wanted to be 100% Cabernet Sauvignon because it says it's Cabernet Sauvignon. And, uh, you know, I wanted, I looked for only for vineyards that had a black fruit profile because I think if you ask most people, do you prefer a red fruit version of Cabernet Sauvignon, which is very nice, red currant, minerality, suede, you know, more like the Rutherford used to be in the old days. If you remember, you were like B.V. Rutherford, which was delicious wine. Right. De but definitely a red fruit profile. But yeah, lovely yeah, wine, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, excellent. And then you have the black fruit profile of Cabernet Sauvignon, which is more, you know, chocolate, coffee, earth, so forth. I think nine out of ten hands, you know, I've had this conversation many times. Everybody raises, I prefer a black fruit profile. And so what did you think I did? I went and only contracted vineyards that grew grapes that came out with a black fruit profile. So that it would be exactly what I was wanted to be by not wine making it by growing it, then putting it in barrels dirty, sitting on the gross leaves, drawn off and bottled. That's it. No adjustments, no blending, all the wine in the bottle. What what strikes me about it? Um, it's, it's clearly Cabernet, but it doesn't. It's not over the top at all. No. And when you think about you know Cabernet again, in this. And the price point in this category of, you know, availability of, of production, you, you tend to get hit over the head with it, mm. right? Well, yeah, There's, because you're it's, usually it's trying light to, on its feet. It's, right. You're usually trying to make up for something right. with that sort of thing. And this is, as you say, it's light on its feet. It, it's interesting because you're, you're exactly right. It is all black fruit. But there's just this little hint of herbalness, which mm -hmm. like Should just be. says it's Cabernet, you know, and. So many people are trying to hide that herbalness with Cabernet, you know, hence waiting for so long to pick and stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah, well, well done. Thank you. Well, because well otherwise you eliminate one degree complexity that made people fall in love with Cabernet Sauvignon, right? Totally. I mean, I'm the guy who started Kung Fu Girl reasoning and people are like, 
you know, why would you start a reasoning call it Kung Fu Girl, you know? Well, the thing is, I love reasoning. For me, it's, it's, it's of all noble white, white varietals, it's my favorite grape because of the diversity of the grape and where it's planted. But the thing is, everybody wants a, delish, a glass of delicious white, minerally white wine, but they don't know how to find it. And we know that the, the complexity that you can get with reasoning could do it. So I decided to do that. People would say, I don't like reasoning, but I love Kung Fu Girl. I'm like, but it's reasoning. <laughs> But I don't like Riesling, I love Kangugo. It's the same thing like Cabernet Sauvignon. You know, the idea is they really, people love what we would consider a classic style Cabernet Sauvignon, which has herbal aspects, minerality, and of course the complexity of the fruit. But it, it has all the all the elements that, to me, quote unquote, real cab should have. And there's some like savory, like almost olive kind of aromatics, like a, like a green olive thing happening. I don't know, I mean, Again, I had I had low expectations. I'm not gonna lie. I had low expectations. I, I you know, I, the amount of it that's made, um, the fact that it's you know nationally distributed. Um, it's not like the wines that I drink. I'm fortunate to get the hundred and forty dollar bottles, even though I don't pay for them. Um, you do. But this, <laughs> right? I mean, that's why we're in this business, right? Um, it's it's not for the money. Um, this this kills it for twenty dollar Cabernet. Yeah, well, that's isn't that the idea? So like, people go, well, why do you make three hundred thousand cases of it? Because th this is the wine that people want to drink. Why do you why are you eventually going to make one hundred fifty thousand cases of single vineyard Pinot Noir like this? Because who doesn't want killer Pinot Noir single vineyard for eighteen bucks? Everybody does. Everybody does. You know, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, accolades. You know, every year that the Cabernet gets 92, 93 points in $15, $16 bottle retail. You know why? Because it's what's in the bottle, not because I'm friends with any particular wine writer. You know, the thing is, you it's don't the have those crazy subscriptions to these. No, <laughs> I do not. And the thing is, so that's really the whole idea. You know, but if you have to go back to the beginning, you know, you talk to me like what what brought me to wine? And then, you know, Parducci, Sauvignon Blanc, something so unassuming. And then we talk about what wines I started making. I was making single vineyard Wall Wall Valley Syrah. I mean, my, I mean, I'm the first person in Washington State to receive 100 points for a Syrah, even before you know Christoph, who's a ex great grower and great winemaker. You're like three or four years into making wine, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, I'm that guy who, for fortune, I have that skill set. You know, I mean, I can't even believe I get to do this as a living. And I was fortunate that I ended up having, you know, I'm pretty good at this. And the thing is, if you're pretty good at that, you should share that gift with everybody by doing something that everybody can afford. So basically, it's somebody who makes, can make, you know, ring the bell. It's easier for me to make uh, Royal City or Powerline or the King Cole or something like that than it is to make 300,000 cases of Cabernet Sauvignon. I mean, I have to have a lot of different vineyards. I have to get it all lined up properly. I have to have it farmed perfectly with no chemicals, no forces of death, our new favorite band. And, and the point is, in the end, this is what you get. So of course, with you us knowing each other, if you knew me, you would go, of course, that's what his wine would be like. Yeah. But then you're like, scratch your head because you're like, there's actually really nothing like it in the American wine market in, in that volume because we know- Because the math doesn't add up here. Right. The math doesn't add up. So that, but you know what? Right. Yeah. I'm a sole proprietor, I have no partners, no investors, no no board. 
So the thing is, the decisions are made with me with the support of my team that is committed to doing the best work possible. And therefore, what's rewarding besides, you know, getting paid and having a good job is to be able to do something that you believe in and get behind, not just philosophically, but actually in practice. So my team, I have the most badass seller team you can ever imagine. My growing partners are amazing. They've, they've gone over to this idea of sustainable farming with no chemicals or our new band forces, forces death forces and death. You know it's changing sunday the hour sunday sunday raising the bar and the thing is if we're big enough other people are going to have to take notice and probably do the same thing and it can help change the momentum because bigger 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 is not necessarily better yeah so we're the, we're the best indie rock label in wine yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, but there's but Sub but pop up. Yeah, I was saying, except but there's some angst. You know, a lot of indie rock has no teen angst, and you know, it's a little too. You you're know. listening to the wrong indie rock. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's like the band Sparks. I got angst in my pants. A <laughs> plus reference. Yeah, you're you're in the band yeah, Sparks. Should we go? Yeah. So should we go King but, Cole or Primitivo next? No, it's because we kind of went okay. Cabernet. So we're we going backwards. Okay. Let's and uh, the thing is, I'm, I'm uh, what do you call it? I'm confident in my wine hood that we can have the Primitivo at the end and go, yeah, I'm, that's I'm really I'm totally cool. down for Primitivo for dessert, 100% yeah. every day. So this is the uh, King Cole 2018. Yeah, it's crazy, right? The, the, the competitors in the market at that price point that you're talking about are people like Miomi, Robert Mondavi Woodbridge. Right. Um, oh, no, it's, it's <laughs> like things that I would have... You walk past bulk, a thousand bulk, out of a thousand times. At 7-Eleven. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, wouldn't you like to buy $15 worth of wine if, besides $7 worth of wine and $8 worth of advertising and marketing? 100%. In science. And at $7 worth of wine is probably being generous. I believe well, in science, well, but your wine I'm is in place for it. I'm everything, including generous. So this is from the uh, 2018 Vintage. This is 75% Cabernet Sauvignon, 25% Syrah from the Royal, I mean, from the Stone Ridge Vineyard where I make the Royal City Syrah from. Uh, as I told you before, uh, I don't blend. This is co-fermented. This is 25% uh, whole clusters of Syrah, which I foot crushed, which I always foot crushed even up to this point. Don't, we're not going to ask you to see your feet. But no, I have no, no. very nice feet, I by the way. I, but heard. they're flat and they're small, so I really need a larger footprint. No pun intended. I need big feet. I am. But I have I'm, small a, I'm, feet. A, I'm available for hire. There you it, go. Might, it might mess up the the pricing on these things. I'm a little expensive. These feet are expensive. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see what you do Saturday. Maybe so, I'll recruit you. Yeah, we're gonna say, we're gonna exactly. find out. What is that really happening? Yeah, we're at least showing up. Yeah. All right. Because you know what? There's if no one. If, if no one takes our. If no one else shows up, we win. We are the <laughs> champions, my friends. Don't you gotta tell me when this is. I might fly Saturday, in. Saturday, stay. Saturday. I could be a ringer. Saturday, Saturday, uh, Vintage Festival. This was this is out Friday, so Saturday Vintage Festival, foot tread, foot stomp, yeah. grape stomp competition. Part of uh, the oldest festival in the history, of the state of California. Yeah, something like that. I've actually assembled a small team, and by small, I mean young. I have four 14-year-olds. I mean, gonna, you have your daughter and the triplets. And the triplets that are going to compete. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right, well, well, we are getting officially second place. <laughs> Just a matter of energy. <laughs> no, we have our own division. 
Oh, right. <laughs> the senior circuit. <laughs> I threatened to make a trophy out of parts Walkers of the with flippers on the feet don't count. Right, exactly. Tennis <laughs> I should have thought of that. <laughs> Basketballs. I was doing barefooted. I should, somebody should have told me about aqua socks. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Based on the social media accounts of most of the wineries up in you know, some areas, this time of year, it's usually just like twenty-year-old co-eds and bikinis. It's the the foot tread thing around is definitely like yeah, doing it for the gram. It's right. doing it for the like softcore porn is what it is. Really. Like, well, I can tell you, she's like my, foot treading, like wasn't pretty. Mine wasn't was was pretty. It was just, it was just a uh, you know, just got to get it done. You got to get it done. Yeah, for sure. Can you talk a little bit about? Um, are there multiple people that helped you with these very original labels? Um, or no. do you have one one person I work with? So my my best friend, her name is Rika Korf, and she uh, we've been friends since the early '90s. She's Danish, and uh, she's a badass, and she's a rocker, and she's cool, and she's incredibly talented, and incredibly stubborn, strongly opinionated, and I'll go back to extremely talented. And we've been friends for so long, and uh, I'm a no compromise person either. So I will have I I will I will come up with the name of my wines. I may have a conceptual drawing of them, and then she'll execute it and elevate it way up there, and we'll communicate and just build, 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 because the area is called the Royal Slope, and I was doing the Royal City Sarong, and this is I figured I did the a cab, I think it's based on that. So the idea was King Cole, and the, and the Cole being the heart of darkness, and King being the Royal City. To the Royal City, and I chose a more kind of like Mayan, evil-looking skeleton king for the Royal City, and then of course there's something you know I like to put a little twist on the back of, on my label sometimes. So, guess okay. So it's King Cole. So it's KC. So what do you think that is? It's 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 it's, it's tipping my hat to the Kansas City, Kansas uh... City Royals. Because I like Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri is a really cool place, and the people they have great barbecue, and they have this great food, and it's a lot of fun to go there, and it's a great spot. So I hit hit a little seal that was a little I homage totally, to the Kansas I, I, City. I, I actually, that's what I was thinking, but I was afraid to say it; it seemed too obvious. And thirty percent of the wines are sold in Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> this would be throw, give me like a brisket off of a smoker and a. This would I can attest would, that it is incredible with barbecue. This was ill with some barbecue. This came from my personal stash. I mean, <laughs> this. I mean, this definitely um, more than the other wines so far. Um, to me, is like when I think of, especially like the Walla Walla region. This is like, this nails it. Um, yeah, this is you know this is the same thing. You know, it's a hundred dollars a bottle. I make you know four hundred cases of it. It gets high reviews and. All that stuff. The idea is th these wines should exist just like the other wines should exist. Totally. And this is where I started. And the idea was, was my original goal when I started was to, uh, you know, make a thousand or two thousand cases of wine a year, make a hundred thousand dollars, meet a local girl, have a small town life, have kids, live to be one of those old winemakers where the, you know, like the French, the Spanish, or the Italians, where their shoes don't match their socks and don't match their pants, don't match their shirt, don't match their vest, don't match their tie, don't match their jacket. They look cool as hell. I want to be one of those old guys, like 80 years old, with a handkerchief in my back pocket, sitting on a park bench, you know? 
and young teenagers come by and I go, who are those old fuckers? And, you know, I said, hey, you know, that's Charles Smith. Don't get close. He was a real badass when he was young. He goes, oh, God, I've heard about him. That's Charles Smith. That's what I wanted to be. And then it turned out very differently, you know. I mean, I ended up being a larger producer, but it without, uh, you know, my dream was to make wine. It wasn't become a larger producer, you know, make Kung Fu Girl and sell it or create house wine and sell it. I did that because I came from nothing. I came from, you know, basically, you know, elbow macaroni and a can of stewed tomatoes with some butter in it. And it was Friday night dinner and a loaf of uh, white bread. My dad would say, you know, Charlie Smith, would you like a piece of bread? And the butter the bread for each of the kids and pass around the table. So, I mean, I know where I came from. And the thing is, you know, my dreams were very small, but my dream was to make wine. And because other things have happened economically or accolade wise or whatever, that's all really fine and dandy. I mean, this is from my heart. This is really fine and dandy. But my dream was wine. And that's still my dream. You know, like that Euro dreams of sushi. Charles dreams of wine. And I dream of wine because. I'm 61 years old. I'm going to be doing this a lot of years, and I get to do, continue to do it right and hopefully get better at it each passing year. And so, you know, I like to come, you know, have, be on your guys' podcast today and have people that are, you know, even remotely interested in what I'm doing. Man, it's far more than I ever expected. And, you know, you know, we're up there. I'm up there in Washington State just kind of doing my own thing. You know, kind of like that Tom Waits where you hear those clanging. I wonder what he's doing in there. You know what I'm doing? I'm doing this. I'm like the Willy Wonka of wine. <laughs> you know, I'm just doing this thing behind this wall that nobody knows what I'm doing. Right? But, but that's, you know, what I'm doing. I just, I just mind my own business, do my own thing, run my own race. And maybe I should have stopped running, but I think I'm the Forrest Gump of wine. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> He's like, why do you run? I don't fucking know. I just keep running. And one day I'll probably just go. Running. Yeah, I'll probably one day I'll just go, I think I'll go home now. You know? But it's not right now. It's 61 years old. It's making substance, Pinot Noir. It's making these things and coming to see you guys and getting to share and being part of this cool shit that we get to do for our living. I mean, working with wine is pretty much really great duty, right? Yeah, yeah. it is. Oh. 100%. And what are you doing here in Sonoma? I actually originally was coming down to see you guys. Oh. Right. Yeah. And then the thing is, you know, so we know somebody. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I ended up, uh, you know, meeting somebody in the Napa Valley, you know, a producer. Because uh, you used to make wine in Spring Mountain, right? No, I've never made wine in California. But I'll tell you, like, I go way back. You know, I'm 61 years old. It, back in the day in Calistoga, when Calistoga was the town of the Napa Valley, that was where all the cool stuff was. The Mount View Hotel, they had a great wine store. There was a place called the Silverado Tavern. I don't know if you remember. Right. They had 1,200 selections on the wine list back in the early 80s. Mark and Alec Dirk Heising owned it. They had the all-season or four-season market right across the street. And me and another waiter, I remember her name was Rudd, and I was, uh, uh, another server named Sandy. We... Uh, we would take our, our tips on our day off because you could come in there and order off the wine list for half price. And basically, I can still tell you what 76, 77, 78, 79, and 1980 Stonegate Sauvignon Blanc tastes like. I can tell you exactly in my mind's eye what the 77 Diamond Creek wines were like from Volcanic Hill, Gravelly Meadows, and Red Rock Terrace. I mean, basically, it's all inside here. And, you know, like, you know, if there's a hundred, a thousand post-its on the wall with all different occupations and somebody said go pick one 
big winemaker and the thing is it seemed like that was the one I was supposed to pick and I I feel like the most fortunate guy in the world because I got to do it you know and it goes all the way back there this profound love of wine and culture and being around the table with people being able to get profoundly intoxicated on wine too and talk about it and drink it and not and not talk about it and drink it and walk through a vineyard and smell when harvest is coming and have the dirt and thing and see the bins going down the street on the main street. You know, I could see in Calistoga back in the day and go, man, I want to be part of that. That's fucking cool. And, you know, and it's cool to be close to the earth and it's cool to do something that people get to ingest and if they like it and it means something to them, man, what an incredible reward. I think that's what chefs feel, you know? And I was telling I was telling James earlier before you got here that um, and maybe this is it's because of where you came from. There's something about your messaging when you talk about wine that speaks to everyday people. It's a lot of times Psalms get caught up in the in the bourgeois shit. But when you talk about I, I've seen a lot of videos and heard you talk about wine before. The way you talk about wine seems to talk to the everyday wine consumer. Because. I make wine for the people and then the, yeah. the, the people are everyday wine consumers for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just it, this, I think this is relevant to this conversation is on the back of the bottles from Substance at the top, it says the quality of being important, valid, and significant. Substance. That's the definition of substance. Yeah. That's what the wine should encapsulate. You know, like I said, I can't press enough that, you know, you know, we we're talking about that idea, like, you know, doing it on that scale. And one of my inspirations, like, you know, I say, you know, you're saying earlier, you know, you find yourself in they're pouring these wines by the glass, you know, the, the substance wine is like, yeah, you're going to get yourself a really good glass of wine. And we remember, and the thing is, one of the inspirations have been for this, you know, I think about uh, Gigal, you know, everybody knows a great producer from, from the Rhone and, and beyond. Yeah. If you find yourself out in the middle, of absolutely nowhere, and the wine list reads not too interesting for you. And there's a bottle of y'all Cote de Rome. Every fucking time. Every time. And, Every you get it, and, you, and, and you're going to order it. Why? Yeah. Because you know you got a good bottle of wine that's going to be delicious. I'm inspired by Gigal of knowing that if it is a wine with my name on it, at whatever price, it's going to be a good wine. You go, ah, Charles Smith made that. It's, it's, it's going to be Charles. good. And that's, that, that's so hard so to hard. obtain that. And Gigal is the perfect reference because we all know that wine, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, Gigal yeah. and Perrin is the same for me when yeah. I say Perrin wines. When yeah. I, I, same thing. You yep. get a, you're like, it's going to be a $13 bottle or it can be a $150 bottle. You're going to get right. a, you know, a good wine. You know, yeah. And it's 25 bucks, you know, it's $3 on a wine list and you're out in Clarksburg or something else like that. And it's on the list and you're like, I'm going to drink this and we're going to order a couple Shout bottles. out to Clarksburg. Shout out to Clarksburg. <laughs> they grow a lot of Chenin Blanc out there. Nice try, Sam. <laughs> they do. What was it? What was a Bogle is out there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bogle does a great job. Yeah, you know, I mean, across the board. I remember it was like Bogle Chenin Blanc, Bogle Petite Syrah, right? right? Right. I remember that one. I'm from Sacramento originally, so you know. Yeah, Bogle is hoping for another pandemic. They were the right. number one selling wine in retail stores for two years. Really? Wow. Yep. So actually, I, I was going to ask a question of sure. really both of you guys, because you definitely, you know, more than certainly anybody here and, and most of our other guests touch the world of, of distribution sure. on, on a national and international scale. Um, what is 
what is like the report from that front line right now? Um, are things, you know, uh, it's definitely a different market than it was three years ago. Um, but what's it sort of, what's it look like? Are you, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic uh, okay. on, on selling wine in the market these days? Well, I think, uh, you know, the pandemic and the inflation and res- the recession. R word, the R, the four letter word. Yeah, dark, exactly. The four letter word. I mean, the thing is, you know, people are un, un, uncertain. But the one thing about it is, wine's always been cool. It's been cool since the beginning of time, and it's always remained, and it will continue to remain. And not just because I wanted to, because we know, you know, a beer is nice. If you're really sel- thirsty, probably a seltzer is nice. I don't care for it myself. But it doesn't matter. Not everything's for me. But the thing about it is, wine has been cool forever and it'll continue to be cool. So the thing is, there's always, you know, when there was wine coolers back in the 70s, you know, there's California Cooler and Barrows and James, you know, all that stuff. It, yeah, it took, it, it took a little bit out of there. And then canned wine and so forth. But, you know, there's no innovation really in the wine world because wine is a continuum throughout the world. So I think that the market is kind of like, you know, er, you know, everybody's betting that everything's just, you know, going well. And then when things, you know, have a little bump in the road, well, you can't be too damn sure of yourself because the world, the, the world is an uncertain place. But the thing is, you just keep going and drive your reluctant cattle forward. And then, you know, it continues to work out and just don't get greedy and keep making good wine. Don't cut, don't cut corners and the, the people are there. I also think that if you're like a juggernaut and you're like this massive corporation and you're tr- you're cranking up the Bud Light of wine, no no offense to Bud Light, like you saw a spike in COVID because people were home and they were drinking a lot and you're like, oh, it's going up and up and up and up. But then it starts to level off and you go into panic mode. And the beauty of, you know, not being Warner Brothers, but being like the indie rock label is we can roll with the punches and we're small yeah. and, and pivot and we're we're making something we're making a passion project for people who are passionate, you know, yeah. and we're making, we're making something for people when they, even if, even if you're not like a full on wino who's spending 50 bucks a night, we're making something for a guy who, or a girl who when they get off work and they come home and they buy a $17 bottle of wine, they know they're getting something great. And the, the beauty of that is that that's always in style and it's always in vogue. So uh, most of these wines, um, the stuff that gets, you know, the big distribution is it, mostly end up off premise and it's mostly people who are buying a no, bottle and bringing no, it home. well like you said if you've got these wines by the glass, glass you're stoked right yeah so the idea is that we and you know you know i'll say what are you pouring by the glass well we're pouring x and it's like for the cabernet it's like let me buy you a glass of that and let me pour this and uh, how much does it cost well this costs the same which one do you like better this right well then you should right. be buying that i mean i probably mean, even... I mean mine because the thing is you know, I tell retailers or restaurateurs all the time, if you like what I'm doing and you want to support it, you'll buy my wine. If you don't, you won't. That's your choice, man. You know, I mean, really it comes down to it. It's your choice. You know, I mean, that's kind of bike painting if, you know, you want to choose the wrong thing. You know, I mean, I, I kind of said one thing one time to a, chose a, big, a, big, uh, a big buyer. I said, you know what I mean? This is, you know, Probably not the nicest thing to say, but as I said, you know, there's some really large wineries that put so much chemicals and stuff in their wine. And, the, you know, the shame is big accounts like you, you reward them by buying pallets and truckloads of their wine. Yeah. I said, why do you do that? Yeah. I mean, Straight because up. there's lots of other people like myself. I mean, I'm not the only one, obviously. You know, there's other people that are doing that. And, 
you know, you shouldn't be rewarded for doing the bad work. You should be rewarded for doing the good work. And fortunately, in some degree, I'm rewarded for doing the good work, and I'd like other people to also have that as well. Well, I, I mean, you you are you are um, in in what you're the field that you're playing in. You're a rare breed. Like you're here. You're right. the one. There's actually a person that you can. There's actually a person. It's not a board. Right. It's not a. Well, it was once a family-owned business. Now no. it's corporate. Right. Fictitious character made up by movie, movie or, or or that also <laughs> exactly. I'm Joe so, Camel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I'm sure it's a battle. And probably some of the things that you have on your side is that where you are doing this, and you know, um, right. you, sure, you, you know, you're not in California. Yeah. 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 Make it in your own image, however you want to right. you want to do it. And you know the thing about it is, there you know we have uh, there's there's two winemakers, there's myself and Brendan Layton, and uh, who works with me. And you know it's 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 my vision for my wines. It's it, you know from the wines that I want to do, and we collectively talk about how we can make the wine better every single year. And the thing is, and Brendan has his own wine, which is be late. And then we have three facilities okay. where we make wine. And the thing is, we're the ones that got the people that are actually making the wine, working as the winemaker, their their job, and we showed them exactly how we do it. So the idea is, when we're not there that day, in the three facilities that we use, everything is being done exactly as if I was there, or Brendan there, or Brandon is there, or the other nice people that are working in our other two facilities. So the thing is, I mean, the other thing is, like you know, our maceration for our red wines are more than thirty days, you know, 30, 40, 50 days, and it doesn't matter. The only difference between King Cole, you know, um, which you is know, great besides the, the price, you know, is uh, you know, in in the wines and making is the yield in the vineyard and the time in barrel. Nothing else, not the winemaking. It's all native. It's all long macerations. I taste the every day, the wine every day, and when it doesn't improve for two days, I press it because that's when I know the tannins are going to be really super silky. I don't pick like. 18 day for forward fruit or 27 day and it'll be a little combination of both i'm taking the wine all the way down the line to where the tannins go from being vertical to horizontal to get long and silky and i press it and that's why the the, the substance pinot noir the substance cab they have that nice in your mouth feel not because of sugar not because it's gum arabic or something on that list is because it just takes time. You know, what is it? Carlo Rossi back then, no wine before it's time, you know, and you had a jug, you know, it's like, and the time is now. Speaking of which, can I have some primitivo now, please? For fuck's sake. Bone dry. Bone dry. None of my, none of my wines have residual sugar at all. Everything's dry. This is another one from my personal stash and is a personal favorite. Thank you, James. So what year is it, James? This is the 2020. Well, hot damn. Here you go. So. Now that's, now that's something different. Totally. There you go. Not. <laughs> there you go. Earthy. Well, um, so. Roasted pumpkin? What is that? Like. Like a spice thing? Marty O'Reilly's coming in. Marty O'Reilly's sneaking in to grab a taste of it's something. a spice thing. Yeah. You know. Well, it is. It <laughs> is. Primitivo. Primitivo. Right? There is spice to it, yeah. and it's cooler climate. 
And so the thing about it, this was, um, and it and it probably doesn't have petite straw in it. Yeah, it's none. It's and how did this end up um, up in Washington? Well, there was. This is in the Northridge area, and this is in the Wallach Slope. And the idea was here was when I started this wine project called Vino, where I make single vineyard Pinot Grigio. I make twenty five thousand cases of single vineyard Pinot Grigio dry. <laughs> I make I make Rosé of Sangiovese. Pale. Yeah. I make Cabernet. I make Rosso, which is Cabernet Sauvignon, um, uh, Sangiovese, co-fermented. You know, these wines are thirteen dollars a bottle. And then I, what happened was, I thought I should make. I found out these little vineyards, and one of them was going to be pulled out, uh, which was Barbera, which was next to the Primitivo. I'm like, ah, oh, you can't do this. Like thirty-year-old vines. You're going to pull this out and just put just some just more or whatever. Starting which, to get good. Yeah. So what I did. I said, we're going to make those wines. So I make 2,000 of that, 3,000 of that. And I basically, those vineyards still exist because we got them before they were going to rip them out. And actually, I have a Moscato underneath the Vino Project, and the vines are over 60 years old. We called the grower on the phone while they're actually in physically removing the vineyard that day. And they were already going up the rows, taking up plants with a bulldozer. We stopped it, and now we still make a small... They had about like about a thousand cases of single vineyard, sixty year old Moscato, you know, uh, Bianco, not right. Giallo. Right. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so this is part of that, you know, and it's called the Porscapino because down in Puglia they have the the Porscapino, which is the uh, it's my f you uh, against myself or the animal the critter labels. So I made my own, but I put it in a well, language so we can read. The porcupine. <laughs> so I made my own, Porcupino. which is kind of like calling myself on it for fun. And the idea was I wanted to tell you about something about where that varietal, you know, it's an uh, old world reference. So I have a Barbera uh, uh, called um, called uh, Cherbo, which is the deer. And I have a uh, Sangiovese uh, called um, Chingale for the, the wild boar okay. Tuscany. And so this is a of three three ones that I do. This got my mouth moving. Killer. Yeah. So winner winner chicken winner, dinner. Winner dinner. Glad we saved it for dessert. It's definitely like I mean they all blew my mind. This is my this is my favorite though. What does this retail for? Twenty bucks? Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> this, is, this is definitely a follow our fifty plus. My palms are sweating at the thought of it. Wines that we make. This is <laughs> one of my top. One of my top three. I love this wine. Yeah. Oh, when yeah. I was picking wines to bring here today, um, I almost didn't bring it because I'm like, because he didn't want to. You know, I literally like, I didn't want to waste it on us. Thanks, James. I'm like, but I'll wind up drinking it with him anyways at some point, so I'll just bring it now. Yeah. The thing is, I didn't even uh, James and I didn't even talk about what wines we're going to bring today. He, I just said, bring the wines that you want to, and let's. Um, Let's have a conversation. So I actually had no idea. I knew, I knew the subs. I mean the substance Pinot because I had it with me, and that's all I knew. I didn't have the other ones with me. James brought everything today. Good job, James. Nice selection, James. Thanks. Yeah, a little bit you of can praise. Keep your job, right? Yes. I'm gonna need a restock. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so this is a little. Snapshot of what I Ship it to Winery 1600 Street West. <laughs> I will take good care of it. I'm sure. So yeah, this is a, a bit of a overview and snapshot of what I do. I mean, let's see, we have, you know, seven, 
wines on the table. Yeah, I, I make 45 other ones. With seven wines <laughs> on the table. There's uh, five labels. Four labels. We got three substance wines, Sixto, Casa Smith, K, and King Cole. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's yeah. look at this. $25 single vineyard. Sauvignon Blanc is pointing to. $20, $20 single vineyard. Casa Smith's $20 uh, single vineyard. Six, uh, thir six, $40 single vineyard Chardonnay. Totally worth it. Uh, this was actually <laughs> the single vineyard this year. Single vineyard Pinot Noir. Single, and that's $18, $18 a bottle single vineyard single Pinot Noir. Single vineyard $25. And single vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Coverment, $100. Everything on this table, except for the substance cab, because you can't have a cab that you make 300,000 cases from, because I defy the black fruit spots. It's the only one out of seven wines it's not a single vineyard. Wow. But with a single purpose of black fruit only. Oh, wait. I was far away from the microphone. Black fruit only. He stood up. He started walking around the table. It was a great time to hear it. Yeah. It was an animated moment, but I was outside of camera frame. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, we'll it'll work really we'll great on this podcast. <laughs> <It's in> post. <laughs> this is post production. Oh. <laughs> this this is pre production, production and post production all in one. <laughs> and you guys, and you used to be mailing lit or uh, wine club. People would it was first come first serve. Like it's that's the way it was back. In, okay. No, you know what? I think it's bullshit. They have to get in line beside somebody in line. Get, get be on the waiting list to be on the waiting list to be on the mailing list. Yeah. I mean, fuck that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I think it's ridiculous because the thing is, what if you just found the wine this year, but you like it as much as somebody else who's buying it and, and then reselling it? it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's that's not cool. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, the thing is, if you're somebody that really likes a particular wine, and and you and you've been buying it for years. I mean, the the fact is, when the when the when it comes out, on, you get an email for it. You know, the next day or two, you should place your order because it's you know it's for real. It's not just a hype. You know, like right. come get it because then you you will. But you know, they're also if you've been buying wines from a small winery for a while, you develop a relationship and they'll hold wines for you. But the idea that you just can never get the wine, I, mean, I just think that's just super uncool because. You know, I mean, just because you're late to the party doesn't mean that you shouldn't come to the party. I will say one thing that I have learned and learned to love, like that I love about this company. I've been working with them for a couple of years, but really just for a few months in this role is that we do have a wine club with a couple of different tiers to it. And it, it blows me away um, working with the wine club director and the direct to consumer director, like how much of a personal relationship they still have at the size that we are with every person in that club. Yeah. You know, the thing is, on the cork? Where's the uh, K cork? There it is. Um, it's still my phone number. <laughs> for real. So for those for of real. you at home, 509-526-5230. Yes. Oh. <laughs> the phone's off the hook. <laughs> Great. Give me a I call. I think James is calling. Are you calling it right now? 509. No, making sure it's not routing to my phone. <laughs> <laughs> You got to remember when when I started the winery, I was the only employee. The tasting room was right outside, so they only had one phone, and that was the phone. <laughs> that was the phone. So the thing is, when I started house wine, because when I sold it to Precept Brands in 2007, the corks had that number on too. I'd be I, people. I'd, I'd suddenly pick up the phone and be like, "This is Charles. Oh, yeah, Precept, we love your wine." It's like, <laughs> who is this? It's Charles. This isn't a recording. 
No, it's it's Charles. Um, what are you going for? He goes, we got to find your wine. I'm recording. That's my wine. Oh, we love your wine. So great. <laughs> I thought it was so incredibly cool that that would happen because it's like, oh, my God, I'm getting calls from all around from really loaded people from Arkansas <laughs> and Nova Scotia. I've never been to either. I've never been to Arkansas or Nova Scotia, and I'd like to go sometime. And the thing is, I get to travel by way of incredibly intoxicated people who are drinking my wine in another time zone. How cool is that? Something to put this into perspective, too, the fact that his phone number is on the, the cork. The guy that got me into wine at all, didn't drink at all, got into wine, was to, um, Sam's uncle, Tony. And I wound up right. talking to him after the first time I met him because his phone number was on the bottle and I was one night drunk after I <laughs> called him and had a conversation. And he you know, answered the phone. 15, 20 years later, here I am. Right. That's super cool. You know why? Because that was that's his life. Shout out Tony Kateri. Shout out Tony Kateri. Yeah, there you go. How cool is that? I don't know if that phone, if that phone number still works. Uh, it probably <laughs> still was does. It in a and, and it is post, a landline. Post happy birthday? Related <laughs> oh, birthday? Rotary <laughs> dial landline. For sure. Do not text don't, that line. Don't yeah. call. Yeah, it's definitely a landline. It might be a fax machine Hello? now. Yeah. <laughs> Crank it up. It's, it's called waiting. You click it. Uh, Party line. Should we um, do what we... How do you... I mean, other than if you can find a place where you should be able to find to get a, a wine of substance. HouseofSmithWines.com at HouseofSmithWines. Wait, 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 wait. Slow that down. Or, HouseofSmith.com. At, at www.houseofsmith. <laughs> Let me spell it for you. H-O-U-S-E-S-M-I-T-H. Put another in the middle. Or at House of Smith Wines. Yes. And then if, you, the grams, if, the if you're like me and you work at a restaurant or a hotel or whatever, um, just distribution goes through. Well, it goes through different states. You know, you can find out who on our, on our website. You can find out who uh, who buys or who distributes our wine in any given state or internationally. If you're in Copenhagen or you're in Seoul or you're in Tokyo or you're in or California, the, you know, far flung regions of San Francisco or something like that. And you know, you mentioned the wine club, and I actually, I, I this is something that you know, I one thing I've done. Is I've I've I created I, I saved a lot of wine over my years of production. I have fifty two thousand bottles in my library, and starting uh, I don't know if we're going to do it the next month or we're going to kick it over to next year. We're starting a wineberry but wine library wine club, so that the people once again that couldn't get the wines, and the thing is, and selling them at the real a real price, not like like oh this is precious cargo. Um, it's only as precious as until the bottle is empty and then it's just glass for recycling. So, um, you know, we have what, what three wine clubs now? Well, we have two wine clubs. We have the, the rolls, which is the high end one. And it's because it was based on rocket 88, which was the first guitar rock and roll song. And also the first muscle car was the, the, the rocket 88. So I thought that was cool because I like old cars. And so that, and the rolls was somebody because, you know, rolls is a little fancier. And, and but we're going to come out subscription club. And it's our email subscription club. Yeah. So we're going to come out with a library club for those who, you know, come into our wines later. They can get a bottle of the 2005 Skull or the 2001 Morrison Lane or the 2010 Royal City or even a bottle of Kung Fu Girl from 2012 that's absolutely wow. ripping right now. Okay. And they can buy it for like 18 bucks for, for a 10 year old. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'd want to go home and drink one right now, but I have to fly there to get there. So I'm just waiting for my flight to leave here from 
from uh, Snoopy Airlines, uh, Snoopy Airport over here in Santa Rosa. You know, the Charles Schultz That's right. thing. Send some of that uh, Riesling right. back our way. Yeah. I so, might have so, a bottle or two at the hotel, believe really? it or not. Really? Yep. So, Charles. Let's raid that cellar. Sure. I'm just going to throw this out to you. You said recycle once the bottles are empty, recycle. Yeah. Start thinking about reusing. Oh. <laughs> just just start thinking about it. It's now, a conversation that you. If we start. could, we would. I lived in Denmark, as I said, for 10 years. And the breweries, they, re they, they, they refill the bottles between 30 and 40 times until they're so marked up and scratched that they can't. And it was really amazing how they recycled everything. And they didn't have, you know, back then they didn't have anything in can at all. Um, and so you found every bottle was in glass. And we know that glass is the nicest vessel for beverages. It's the most, you know, non-invasive, if you will. At least I think most people believe that, or maybe it is not even the case, but actually stupidly, stupidly, I believe that. Uh, if we could recycle our, our there's, there's There's people working on it, well, and we'll just leave it at that. And, well, and, and they so. are. They should call us because, you know, we're very interested in that kind the, of thing. The I substance... Mean, the like, substance, it's like the perfect bottle for yeah, it. It is. Yeah. Yes, 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 and so. and and it's just a matter of getting them collected. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk, and we'll try to put some people together. On yeah, that. send them our way because you know what, Diana Snowden says. I was gonna, after your last podcast. This is this is stemming from their last episode, which I heard and already put a bug in Charles's ear with something that we're talking about. Okay, good. I mean, it, we we all have to start talking about it to figure out how it can happen. Because Absolutely. it's way, it makes way more sense than recycling. Well, if we're saying we're stewards of the earth in our viticulture, the way I grow our grapes, why should we stewards of the earth the way that we treat treat our, our vessels that we're going to get throw away instead of recycling, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't only do it halfway. Right. Yeah, you only get halfway around the circle, right? There we go. Oh. <laughs> This is our, our first Zen outro, right? Seriously. I dig it. Dude, what are you talking yeah. about? Well, we usually wait till the we hit stop on the recording. Do you? No. <laughs> I have very rarely gotten high while during. Because during. Yeah, you, you hotbox the office before. Before and after. <laughs> it's possible that maybe during a virtual tasting uh, in the height of COVID, I would sneak off screen in the middle of a vineyard. Or Which not, is or not so because when the smoke goes by the screen and everyone's like, he's not peeing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, I'm offering you an opportunity before we close it out. No. So I'm going to say this comes out on Friday. Everyone who lives locally, if you want to come down to the square, we're doing the Grape Stomp, Blessing of the Grapes. Uh, we got three bands playing, um, um, Grand Tasting on Saturday night. If you're listening to this on Friday... Um, when it first comes out, we're doing the Legends Dinner. Tickets, I think, uh, tickets, still. tickets still available. And um, James told me he's coming, so I'm hoping yeah, he's I'm still yeah. coming. He's at, our, he's at our table. Uh, John Charles Boisset is having a little after party in the white room, I was told. So I'm now getting childcare. I am unavailable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Might be crashing here at the Tasting House. And then Sunday, Sam. Vinyl Sunday. Right. David Nelson Band. Uh, State Fair. Valley doing food. The, they just dropped the menu today. It'll be out in social media. It's going to be red. Uh, and it's all a benefit for the MyComs Volunteer Fire Department. Right. And, and celebrating uh, Phil's 70th birthday. Which we started uh, last Wednesday. And, right. And it'll, be, it'll be a month of celebrating. <laughs> right. 
And uh, I'll be at all of those events. So come ask me about Washington wine at the Sonoma Vintage Fest. Yep, exactly. Cool. <laughs> Charles, thank you so much. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. This wine's a great man. And I'm glad I got the purple mic fuzzy thing over. It's, it's really a, we, it's on <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. It's on point. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Subscribe. Like. Review. Like. Boom. Follow. <laughs>